Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I very carefully did not call it Star Trek. Yeah, I thought there was a 50-50 you were going to welcome us to Star Trek again. I, I remembered this time. It's not, the name of the show is not Star Trek, it's Brother Date. Uh, this is the ongoing project where we compare Star Trek episodes to from each series to each other based on the week they were aired. So that's a, it's, We need to find a better way to introduce this. Is there a way to put this in one short sentence, what we're doing? Uh, boy, if we can, then let's record it and play it as a drop. <laughs> yeah, we so should. I don't have to. So we don't have to remember it. Uh, what week is it? Fifty-seven. It's week fifty-seven, and you know the rules: no fanny packs. Passenger fifty-seven. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about the episodes this week in the reverse of the order they finished in last week. So guess who was first? Big, big surprise. Last week, the worst episode was uh, from the television show Star Trek Voyager. Oh. So this week, we're getting things started with Blood Fever. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hold on, was that the best quality? Uh, Yeah, it sounds like someone took it right off their record player. <laughs> Do they not? Are they? Are they are they like jerks and they take all their shit off of the YouTube or whatever? What's going on here? That's that. That sounded terrible. Um. Uh. Yeah. Some. Somebody did that. Somebody did bad. Hey, Voyager is back in the mining game again. <laughs> I know you thought they were done with that, but you were fucking wrong. It's yeah. uh, Galasite time. Time to get some Galasite. Uh huh. Yeah. Routine scans found some Galasite, and Janeway must have it. She needs all minerals. Every mineral is important. Uh, you never know what you're going to need on the long trip home. Uh, so there's an old abandoned mine uh, next to some old dead colony on a planet. Um, so they're just going to dive right in. They ain't worried about anybody being there. Um, Balana and our new friend Vorik, definitely not Torik, are going over preparations for the mission, which will involve some heavy caving, when uh, Vorik seems annoyed that she wants TP to come along. Uh, he's got hiking experience, I guess, TP. Um, but Vorek says he's got the goods too, uh, but she could not care less. This is one of those moments that I feel like TNG... Pro- well, now they've done it too sometimes. You get a moment where he has an annoyed reaction to this, and so you're like, ah, this, this, they're doing the love triangle thing. But it doesn't matter because the very next thing that happens... Yeah, so he just does the damn thing and tells her he is officially asking her to be his mate. Boom. He is... He, Vorik is a king in the way that Ray and Roast Beef would understand it. <laughs> That's right. He just uh, punches dude in the face and straight up tells girls he likes them. And, uh... But he's, like, a real incel piece of shit. And he, like... Mm, he doesn't like that she does not go for it. She's obviously not gonna marry him or whatever. 
So he like tries to get some of that tasty mind meat and double mind melds her until she knocks him down. He's kind of only the second worst incel this week, though. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of good we'll stuff do, going we'll on. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> uh, credits. Um, Vorik is being examined by Schmolis for his dislocated jaw, which uh, Bellana gave him, and also for Ponfar. She uh, gave him that uh, Starfleet palm heel strike. She learned it from her one year at Starfleet Academy or whatever. It is apparently the, the uh, cornerstone of Starfleet. Uh, personal self-defense probably they spend the first three months of their first semester at the academy doing just that thousands of times each day um there's a good scene here where vorik really seems like a kid having a sex talk with their dad and schmullis says he needs vorik's help um because they still don't know anything about the pawn far and vorik insists on not being helped but just being confined to his quarters uh to do a meditation yep um this never works the no. only time you see Vulcans do a meditation is when it's not going to work. In fact, I was pretty sure that had been ruled out before, that that was not a good a good solution to this problem. But the doctor goes to talk to Tuvork, who also tells him they aren't supposed to discuss it and that there's nothing logical about the Ponfar. Uh, he's no help. No. Um, Balana barks out a bunch of crazy orders to TP and Neelix, who's joining the team in Vorix's absence, and they transport down to the planet. But she's acting fucking coked out, and that is weirding them both out. They chat like a ton, and then Neelix falls off his rope, and Balana comes down after him. Neelix looks not that hurt, you know, like I mean, he fell a bunch right on his ribs. It can't be good. He's more. He looks embarrassed to me. Um, yeah. Well, it doesn't help that Balana gets down there and starts just fucking chewing him out. Yeah, she's a like ranting he- mess. He did bad climbing, and she's a climb expert now, and she's mad at him about it, and Tom Paris has to get down there and go like, hey, this Starfleet equipment that I just four minutes ago said never breaks. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I saw it. It just broke. It just broke. Straight broke. Uh, I'm guessing the mind meld earlier gave her a Ponfar. I'm not afraid to foreshadow that, that or, or to spoil that, because guess what? That's what happened. Um, yeah, it sure is. Uh, she, she bites TP, and then she declares that she's in charge of the mission, and then she runs off on her own. Um, Janeway wants to send down an away team, but Tuvork goes off to chat with the now crazed Vorik because he thinks he's figured it out. Vorik did a whoopsie and melded the pawn far right into her. Yep. Uh, an away team of Chaco, Tuvork, and TP is off to find Balana with a slightly injured Neelix being lifted out for medical treatment. They find her, but she's doing a close encounters thing with some kind of power system. It seems really important to her. <laughs> It seems like she's half horny for TP and half horny for mining technology. Yeah, it's really affecting her pretty badly. Then, what a surprise, aliens come out of nowhere and hold them at gunpoint. Because it's caves, man. It's fucking caves. Yeah, they shouldn't have been in these fucking caves. They just can't The minute stop. she saw a functioning fucking power conduit, <laughs> they should have beamed out. right up to the ship. Uh, the aliens actually seem pretty chill. They look at the phaser Tuvork's carrying, and they give it right back to him. Yeah, but, the aliens are definitely not the problem this week. You know who can never helps, be chill? It helps that nice guy Chakotay is down there. <laughs> He's t- he promised them three times he wouldn't fucking tricorder their bodies in any way. Yeah. Uh, well, Voyager's crew of misfits can never be chill. And this time, Balana is going crazy, and she fucking attacks an alien who tries to save her from some fallen rocks. Um... 
These aliens are hella good at not showing up on instruments, though, and they fucking took Tuvork and Chaka with them when they ran away from coked-out Balana, and now Balana and TP can't find them. Their instruments won't detect them. Yep. In sickbay, Vorik is still embarrassed, but the doctor won't stop trying to draw him a lady's private parts or whatever most people's sex talk is like. I only know mine. <laughs> yep. Uh, use your own experiences yeah, as a guy. I know you meant to say inscribe them into a bench. That's how it happened to you. I got a drawing on a legal pad. Well, he'd learned his lesson by then. <laughs> uh, the doctor brings him to the holodeck to fuck a lady Vulcan. Vork yeah, that's cannot... his whole plan, by the way. That's his entire plan. He cannot believe how dumb that sounds, but agrees to try if the doctor will stop trying to tell him that masturbating is okay as long as he doesn't do it too much. Right. Again, use your own experience as a guide here. Um, TP and Balana are trekking back through the caves, but she is too horny. They, um, they struggle yeah. for her weapon that she's bandying about, and TP says, This is about sex! And then they get real fucking up close and personal, and maybe I send a screenshot to Judah to bother him. It did. It did bother me. Uh, the previously cool aliens are now interrogating Chaco and Tuvork. Uh, they tell him about how they ended up in the caves in the first place. Some unknown aliens attacked and destroyed their civilization, and they went to hide in the caves. That's it. Um, they just fucking did it from space. They never even saw these dudes. Yeah. Chakotay tells them he'll help them hide even better if they go back to being chill again. So I think they agree. Um, Balana and TP get trapped by some rocks, and she jumps him. They admit their nasty feelings for each other, but TP ultimately chooses not to do her good in case she's lying to get some of that good TP rod. <sighs> yeah, he does a little. They do a little morality play about consent here. Anyway, Vorek calls the doctor to tell him the treatment was a smashing success, and the doctor tells Janeway uh, he's going to release this dude back to active duty. Chaco and Tuvork find TP and Torres and uh, get out of those caves, but they can't get Voyager on comms. Tuvork tells TP he'll, he'll just have to give it to uh, Balana all nasty here by the cave, or she'll die. And I was pretty yep. sure this was a prank at this point. Not only that, but he tells it to him as if they've had a previous conversation about it, which I don't believe they did. Do they have it off screen? <laughs> he just turns to him and he's like, yeah, it's time for you need to it's time for you to help. You should have Lieutenant given him Torres a, now. It would have been even better if he'd given him a non-audible signal. Yep. Um It was not a prank. I thought it might be a prank, but it wasn't. And just as TP and Torres are getting down to business over there in the bushes, Vorik shows up enraged. Um earlier Tuvork said a fight to the death was not an option in Vorik's case, and since he said it twice, I should have known it would definitely come back to haunt us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, now he wants to fight TP to the death, I guess. Vorik was the one who messed up the comms so he could come down and do his dirty business. Yeah, they honestly don't really raise the specter of the fight to the death. I feel like the fight to the death is part of the dumb ceremony. and yeah. But really all that needs to happen is Vorik just needs to punch something until he's tired. I think well, that's basically okay, it, Okay, right? that's what happens in this one. Uh, we'll get to it. Um, uh, Taurus decides she's going to fight Vorik. Like, not TP. So, this episode's all over the place. Uh, fight, fight, fight. Supposed to remind but, us of TOS. No, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Tuvok announces that she has the right to name her own champion. <laughs> what the... What fucking law applies here, Tuvok? <laughs> Tuvok's so bad in this episode. Is that for Vorik's benefit? Or? Tuvok is so bad in this episode. This is like that episode where Picard says it's okay if Riker wants to go kill Worf. 
Yeah, basically. You're just like, what not, is Not that happen- it's okay, that he probably should if he's a good friend. Yeah. You know, haven't you ever been a friend to someone? You know what it's like to have friends? Sometimes your friend wants you to let him stab himself. I don't, because I've stabbed them all. <laughs> I used to have That's friends. That's what really happened to Jack Crusher. Each of them wanted to commit suicide. Um, Boy, anyway, like I said, uh, fight, fight, fight. Supposed to remind us of TOS, but fails there. Nobody dies at all. They both just sit down after a minute. Kind of like when you but, have a punching contest in Skyrim. By the way, why didn't they play the music? I guess at that point, they would not have been... Unexpected. I realized that they didn't have the Lirpa and the Onwoon, but why didn't they play... <laughs> Honestly, Tuvok was so bad in this episode, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd fucking pulled those things out. Oh, I have them, I just brought in case. the Lirpa. Oh, fuck! Um, so I guess they just have to fight for like a minute and not to the death. Um, TP and Torres uh, back on the ship get stuck together in the turbo lift. Like uh, it's awkward, and she's like, "It, uh, it was just a pawn far." And he's like, "Hey, but we really should do it, though." Yeah, he definitely wants it to be clear to her that he's still down. Uh, and she's like, "I mean, kinda." So I guess that's just out there now. Yeah, it's just well. Listen, why shouldn't it be? Uh, Chakotay just tells Janeway that he's jealous when she's hanging around with Q. With Q. It's fucking all out in the open on this ship. This ship... It's like Riker. If, if it had taken him an extra three years to get back to Earth, spoiler alert, it would have just been full-time nasty on that ship. <laughs> Doctor's just rubbing everybody's feet. Oh, God. Um, thanks. Uh, then big scary reveal. The invaders of this planet generations ago, or whenever it was, were Borgs. They find an old Borg Skeletor in the very same bushes that BT and TP were going to get mad ruddy in. Yep. What was this great episode of Voyager about? What was the take? Okay, so the director of this episode was Andrew Robinson. You know him as Garrick. Oh, my friend Garrick. He says that this episode is about going down into the caves of your subconscious and confronting your sexuality. Oh, yikes. An idea that maybe is personal to him. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know nothing about this dude. I know he's a much better actor than he is a explainer of this episode. I, it is not about that, but I do think that the moral of this episode is sort of to be open and honest about your sexual desires and not to be prudish and just try to stifle them. Hmm. And I'm going to be honest, I gave it five points. Okay. So, although there are probably asexuals who watch this episode and still feel excluded, there's probably not much TV from 1995 that doesn't exclude them, and I think this was well-meaning. I think this is... This is a... Uh, hey, if you're gay, you know, a Vulcan or a half-Klingon or whatever. Uh-huh. Whatever kind of gay you are. You can't just um, wish it away, or meditate it away, or focus on the cool power conduits. <laughs> right. You gotta get it out. It's gotta get out of you. <laughs> okay. So I realize that I'm giving them a little credit for this, but still. Yeah. I guess my only problem with it is that the Vulcan characters are like, no, though, we shouldn't talk about it ever. Sex is private and no one should talk about it. And I'll just get into mine because it relates. Um, uh, I had traditional remedies are better than anything modern science can come up with. That's a one. 
Because it's yeah, false. That is a, that's a shitty take, for sure. Yeah, the Doctor thinks they should be open and discuss it and figure out what to do about it. And the two Vulcan characters are like, no way, man, that's nasty. It's our private shame. The Doctor goes out of his way to try a holodeck solution that fails badly. But what does work? The same thing that works forever, punching. His holodeck solution, though, is just masturbation. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, Except at least... That they- for some reason, none of the Vulcans that have had Ponfar in Starfleet before, nothing has ever come down about it, and he has literally no information, and he's like, I don't know, maybe a hollow Vulcan would work. Yeah. But what works is not talking about it and making it your private shame and then going out into the woods and punching each other. You gave it a one. Ben gave it a zero. Cool. Uh, and his take was, gotta get that D. Wow. I mean, I did definitely get the feeling that this was the writers being pervy. And they don't know how to make something sexy? No. Is that what it is? They're very bad at it. Okay. You've seen. Surely you've seen. I mean, yeah, they are traditionally extremely bad at it. Yeah. Um, Ben gave it a two for execution. Okay. He says that non-Vulcan Ponfar, or sexually transmitted Ponfar, is just dumb. Yeah. It's unnecessary to add to the universe. Uh, I think he means the fight is the worst choreographed fight he's ever seen, or it's badly edited. Vorik lands the last punch, but he's the one who falls down. Yeah. It's like he got tired. It's like he literally got tired and sat down. Yeah, he thought Chakotay's excuse to the aliens about Balana sounded a lot like he was saying she was on her period. Well, what were they supposed to say? Were they supposed to say, all right, now hold on, I gotta give you some background. Um, She's feeling mad horny right now. Okay, listen, there's a race called Vulcans, and it's not clear how often they have sex, but they definitely have to have it every seven years or they'll die. Yeah, and uh, And it turns out that oh, they also have this ability where if they touch your face in just the right way, they can share your thoughts. This is not a good explanation, and I think it would make Uh, them scared of Vulcans. uh, Bear bear with me. I know there's like hella earthquakes going on right now. Ah. We don't want to meet any more Vulcans. Oh, this guy here, he's one of them. No, you must die. So anyway, she is not a Vulcan. (laughs) But a Vulcan did the face thing, and it turns out he gave her, you know, a strong... She just really needs to fuck right now. And And, um, she doesn't want to admit it, so she's feeling real surly. And no one wants to. Except this guy, he does want to, but his feelings are kind of (laughs) hurt that she didn't want to before. It's like it doesn't count that she oh. wants to anyway. Wait, where'd they go? Now they've they've <laughs> gone back into the walls. There's a note here that says, take all the galasite, we don't care. Uh, yeah, so that wouldn't be better. So, yes, his explanation was not very good, but... Uh, what what did you give it for execution? I agreed it was a two. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to start with the resolution to this being so anti-science that it's crazy and I'm mad about it. All the TPBT stuff was gross, and I hated it. I don't want any more Ponfar episodes, but there's no way I can be that lucky. Just given how many more episodes of this show there are. Yep. Uh, but the Vorik and Shmala stuff was actually funny. so that We're not even it... halfway through Voyager. I know. Tuvok's gotta get it. I don't know if Tipo got a fake one, right? She got one that was like early onset because of some uh, disease. Yep, and it was cured by medical science. She so. could she could still get another one, bro. 
But don't worry, Flocks didn't write nothing down that would be helpful in this situation. No one on Enterprise ever did. Does Enterprise end with the show blowing up and all of Flocks' notes are lost, and that's also why they don't know nothing about the Ferengi or yeah. like what Romulans look like or whatever? Flocks' and Archer's and everyone's notes just gone because... Okay, they're just completely destroyed. Enterprise saw it first. Um, the terrorist bombing of San Diego in... 20... 20 fucking 21 i don't remember who cares yeah. it'd have to be after like 2150 or it doesn't matter ah oh, god um did you agree that the vorak and shmala stuff was not that bad every time vorak uh, gave him a look like oh for fuck's sake uh most of the best moments were uh how smug shmalas is about the whole thing particularly by the way when he thinks that he has solved the problem with his sex Vulcan and he immediately gets down to prepping up this, uh, the sex program for Bolana. Yes. He's very smug about that. We um, never see him have to eat crow. No, they don't burn. They don't throw it back in his face. Um, the strange idea to tease the Borg at the end though. I mean, they didn't give them their own whole episode, like, ooh, the Borg, they're back. And they also nope. didn't go slow burn like the DS9 did with the Dominion. Where you got, no. like, Borg stuff, Borg stuff, Borg stuff, who is it, who are these strong aliens that have been messing around with people, what's going on? And then they go, oh, I know these guys are the Borg. This, di- this dude literally, this Skeletor just shows up in the woods. Yep, and what we see on the surface is not what we have seen at the sites of previous Borg colony nah, destructions. Dude, they just scoop them shits up. It's not remotely, right? Like, it just, uh, it's just a canyon that Riker yells into. <laughs> Are you thinking of anybody? That's Yeah, different. it's not specifically anybody canyon. <laughs> okay. That's from All Lonely right. Among Us, uh, the last, last outpost. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he definitely stands at the edge of this thing and looks into it. It's, it's probably... kind of, actually, it's a lot more like what happened to Tripp's sister. <laughs> that's right <laughs> he probably yelled something about shelby into that canyon that he saw down there and but it's like uh these these borgs whatever they did they beamed someone down for some reason and also they left like a lot of ruins up there yeah yeah um but anyway it was like a weird in-between space for me and i didn't care for it just showing up in this sex episode it was, it was a very undignified way to introduce the Borg into this show. So, yep. yeah, for me, it was just a two. So, I definitely had some problems with this episode. Okay. The Sakari the, are those... not at... Yes, they, the aliens. Yes. They're not at all necessary. They don't do like, anything. If you're going to have a rockfall trap Bolana and Paris in a cave so they have to confront her pawn far times... You can also just have Chakotay and Tuvok be on the other side. You don't have to have them be, like, kidnapped by the Sakari. Yeah. But I guess that part was to do the one-episode slow burn about the Borg. So right. they, so the so that the guy could give him his backstory and be like, well, I don't know, we had to come down in here because some fuckers shot us up from orbit or whatever. Yeah, but, like, we know a colony was destroyed here recently. Like, Agreed. you could still, you could do this exactly the way it is and show the Borg skeleton at the end, and no one's going to be like, this was a Borg colony. Yeah. No, we know. <laughs> right. Um, Schmollis is right. It makes no sense whatsoever for Vulcans to be so weird and secretive about sex. And if they couldn't think of a better answer to put in Tuvok's mouth <clears throat> than to say Ponfar is not logical, Oof. maybe they shouldn't have had Schmollis bring it up at all. Like as just in as writers, if that's the best answer to that thing that you have the doctor say, that you can come up with, yeah, 
take that whole exchange out. Just don't even have Shmola say, ah, it's weird. Yeah, it seems like... It seems like we aren't even at Enterprise times in real life where they decided they want to do what, just a full redo of the Vulcans and make them real garbage. <laughs> but maybe there really only was a, a small sweet spot for the Vulcans. There was yeah. like, uh, Spock was cool, but we didn't meet a whole ton of other Vulcans. Just his dad, who definitely could have done a murder. That's true. Listen, Spock didn't want to talk about it either. It's true. Uh, but also... No one, because it was the '60s. No one wanted to talk about it. Everyone was to okay the with point that. where McC- no one says sex in the whole episode. Right. McCoy has to; they have to say like the biology of Vulcans. That Kirk has to like double yeah. wink at it. Um, so maybe we're already out of that sweet spot. Maybe the Vulcans suck again. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, Vorik just shut down like half of the ship so he could come down and claim Milana. Yeah, and then. So I know that the Doctor's dumb plan doesn't work. But like, but also it did work a little bit because then all of his readings were good. I assume what he did in there was turn off that thing and meditate. Okay. <laughs> but so then like, why couldn't he keep doing it? Right. Unlike, well, he had Balana on his mind, I guess. And like no one says to Balana, hey, do you want to just go masturbate and see if that makes it better at all? Yeah, you want to go hide behind like, those bushes over there? Maybe it's not a cure, but, like, we gotta get off this fucking planet. If you could, like, just maybe snap one off, At and least then, like... It'll, get, it'll kill some time. Like, you can try Hey, we're that. trapped in this fucking cave anyway. Do you want to just bang one out? Like, it's dark in here. I'll turn my back. Do whatever you need to do, yeah, and then... Just don't jump me and bite me again. Let's not pretend, like, the only solution is I have to fuck you. Like, could yeah. you just masturbate, maybe? And then we'll just see if that... See if that helps. If it doesn't help, it hasn't really cost us anything. Anyway, no one suggests it, because <laughs> no. it's just the 90s and they couldn't talk about it. No, masturbation was still uh, too much i can't think of any reason why it shouldn't at least help like yeah. shouldn't it help if this well, that look, doesn't matter even if it doesn't uh it'll kill some time while we try to get out of here right um anyway this is a this is a lesser work with a wild twist ending uh i actually realized that i have written nothing but complaints there but i had given it a four but i'm dropping it to a two okay obviously ben and i are in line with that um yeah <clears throat> what about World building. Ben's a one. I'm a standard three. Okay. Uh, Gallicite is used to rebuild the warp coils this right. week. And that's, I guess, the, you know, often they don't even come up with a justification for why they're going down we, to the fucking yeah, cave. Yeah, we need some of this shit. But there's enough Gallicite down there to refit the entire warp coils. So, like, that seems like something you'd want to do if you're going to be burning them out going home. Right. Telepathic mating bonds. Apparently that's what Vorik was trying to initiate. Well, uh, yes means yes, bro. Well, but that's not what... She didn't say yes. No, she, she didn't. Was, she was pretty explicitly saying no. Voyager is a yes means yes state, I assume. I guess. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. It was the 90s. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, listen... Voyager is kind of uh, whatever Janeway decides it is this week, so whatever. Uh, they got them special cave uniforms. Yeah. And then uh, all the stuff about Ponfar. Um, what about the Borg? Is that worth anything to you, or do you not think not they yet. know enough? We knew the Borg were in the Delta Quadrant. It's not new that they're here. Okay. Mm, let's see. Galicite, more mining, cool. <clears throat> Despite all of the fucking... Vulcans 
and all their Ponfar incidents before Starfleet still has no clue what to do about it or how it works. It's hard to believe. Um, yeah, I guess to Pring or whoever has been keeping it secret. To Pow? Who was... Yes, to Pow. Who was the one that Kirk didn't didn't feel like he could back down in front of? That was such a weird fucking reason. Ah, anyway. Um, uh, never heard about... Did they talk about the intensive meditation options in the other episodes? All I remember was fuck or fight. That's all I remembered. Well, they just went to Vulcan. I don't think it, like... I think I don't think Spock ever... The idea was that he was ever going to have to deal with this on his own. And then once he got down into the arena, it was like a whole ceremony. Yeah. Uh, like you said, telepathic mating bond. 73 male crew members left, according to Vorik. Uh, the first... It's very heteronormative. What does he know about Balana? Exactly. The first chill aliens they've met in a while. Uh, the Sakari, who were once uh, bombarded and destroyed in... Uh, did you say under an hour? Um, yeah. Some escaped into the caves, and they've been perfecting their hidey hole tech ever since. Uh, turns out the board That's gotten pretty it. good. Oh, yeah, dude. They just disappeared right in front of them. They just didn't occur to them they needed to hide their galacite. Uh, two Vork has an artificial elbow joint. I don't know how much that's worth. Uh, violent Klingon sex. Yuck. Um, you don't have to fight to the death, it turns out, to beat Ponfar. Just punch, 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 and everyone's happy. The Borg being there to me is worth something because although we are told in that first Borg episode or whatever that they were coming from the, the Delta Quadrant, um, I don't know if anyone watching that put those two together at the time. And having the Borg there would be kind of a, like a cool new surprise. Unfortunately, we don't learn much about that. Yeah, He just shows so up in the see, last We minute. see a one Borg. Right. Like, is it world building that we saw a one truck floating in space? Um, you remember when that truck was I, floating in space? Well, I mean, no. Okay. There was, that truck was not world building in and of itself. But I'm sure Tom Paris knew exactly how to how to get it in shape. Um, I don't know. I had it as a four because there was a lot of Vulcan stuff and the Borg pop up. And, uh, well, if it's a four, it's a four. I'm not yeah. going to argue about it. I think it's a four. All right, fine. Fine, then. Fine. God. Fine, because it's fine. Yeah, uh, and did we talk about what Ben did already on this one? He gave it a one. Yeah, on he was a one. Yeah, uh, he had all the same thing. Oh, he says they finally come out and say the holodeck is for sex. I feel like the resort has been. <laughs> right? Like, Sandrine's also was kind of. Right? But the resort Every is character extra. was horny. Belana just shows up with five dudes and Speedos following her around. Everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it pretty clear what it's for and again uh he thinks Vorik did fuck in the holodeck i don't i don't know like Maybe. it's possible he didn't i assumed he just turned that shit off as soon as Schmollis left he says the hiding aliens were dicks i thought the hiding aliens were super nice dude they were pretty fucking chill how many aliens do you know that just give the phaser back to tuvok yeah they're just like all right here's your fucking gun okay i guess i guess you're not here to kill us <laughs> and then they immediately get punched you weren't able to detect us? Cool. Cool, right. cool, cool. Well, I guess we'll be on our way. Why are you punching us? All right, she punched. You come with me. I need this explained. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> just like just like Riker talking to Kaczynski, I've had enough of your... I, I <laughs> demanded that you explain it until I understand it. I am it, sick of it. And I immediately back down. Um, uh, he's a one on characterization also. Yeah, I was going to say. He, he says Tom is a good guy now. Oh, wait, not too good. He's going to pity boner. Good for her. Yeah, Ben was pretty low on this one. Gave it a four total. 
Well, what did you give it in characterization? I have it as a big fat three. <laughs> um, Vorik knows what he wants and goes after it like a logic boss. He also finds the doctor's questions extremely personal, but he spends most of the episode impaired. Um, Tuvork is just as prudish as Vorik about the Ponfar. He also thinks a fight to the death is a totally reasonable solution to this problem. <laughs> and he's got, he, don't worry, he's here to officiate. Yep. Uh, the Paris Torres slow burn continues. TP is definitely pretending he doesn't know not to get too close to her when she's Ponfaring and thereby is taking advantage of her, right? Yep. I feel like he was taking the girl's advantages in this episode. Yeah. Um, then he would get her all riled up and then give her blue balls and shit. It was real icky. Uh, but he was down to throw fists at Vorik. Um, he probably shouldn't be so eager to do that. Because Vorik has been doing cocaine and lifting weights all day. <laughs> yeah, basically. He's gonna here to kill Scott Jorgensen or whatever. <laughs> uh, is Chaco jealous that TP was bitten? He makes a face when he hears that. That was like... Uh, he's got history with her. Yeah, yeah it, made, it was like the face he made when he found out Q was after his lady. Uh, the doctor loves designing sex programs. He's got good work waiting for him on DS9 if they ever get home. It's a three. Uh, well, I also gave it a three. So, we have two altered characters here. Which, you know, never bodes well for characterization. Yeah, it's not good. But this time we're definitely supposed to believe that there is kind of just loss of control or like amplified horniness and not, you know, a monster is projecting <laughs> thoughts into their head or whatever. Or controlled by an alien being or whatever. Um, but the real problem characterization wise is that they already laid all of this uh, Vorik Bolana Torres groundwork and this doesn't really advance any of it. Yeah. It's just going exactly the way we knew it was going to go. Tom Harris wants everyone to know that he ain't no raper. <laughs> Schmollis, very smug, absolutely believes his blow-up doll will work. He's also definitely a racist and we'll talk about it. Oh, good. I can't wait. <laughs> Chakotay is at least capable of diffusing a tense situation if the aliens of the week are pretty reasonable. And that's where all of the points I gave it came from. Yeah, that's true. It's nice to see that Chakotay is at least not a diplomatic. He's not the, uh, he's not, he's not Trip. No. He's not a diplomatic liability. No, he's not Riker. Um, but Tuvok thinks he can order people to fuck, though, so that's not amazing. No, it's not good. It's not even the senior officer on that planet. Yeah, I mean, if uh, someone's going to order people to fuck, it should be Chaco. It's got to be Chakotay. Yeah. That's the rules. I gave it a three. I have a few quick hitters. Okay. Uh, just again, chronological order. Why is Milana so cheerful about beaming down to this cave? Did she get a little charred out of busting Vorik's jaw? Oh, I get it. She's affected. There you go. Right. Tell me that they're not planning to carry a thousand tons of gallicite up in those three backpacks. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. They did. They, what's the What's the fucking plan, guys? They did say they were going to get a thousand tons of this shit. Yeah. There's a kiloton, yeah. Matthew, of gallocyte down there. Enough to line the warp coils. I mean, we're not going to get that much. We're just going to line this one little Smash square. Smash cut to Tom Paris saying, well, just wait till we're climbing back up with the backpacks full of gallocyte. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> That's the plan? 
You're not going to put a pulley in and like... Yeah, they're going to stay there for 10 years mining Galaxite. What's the big deal? You're not going to build out a little mining operation? No, All right. sometimes you gotta, you got to make sure you're putting in the fucking groundwork before you head off on your adventure. No Star Trek series can stay away from the episode Sarek, can they? This idea of someone else's loss of control spreading. That one can't be too far away, and we will find out if it is worth all of the glory that these other shows have. It just fucking keeps happening, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Schmollis is so specifically racist that he's going to make a half-Klingon <laughs> man right. for Bellana to fuck. Not a Klingon, not a human. It has to be a half-Klingon. <laughs> Like, uh, hey, Vorik, don't worry. I got you one of the white Vulcans. That's right. Also, hey, I didn't go black Vulcan, right? Also, don't worry. I'll get to work on the half Klingon program for Bolana. Mm. Mm. Hey, buddy. He just smiles as he says it, too. First of all, assuming that this dumb thing works at all, you could just ask her who she wants to fuck. Yeah, what are you it into? It don't gotta be... Don't go designing mystery date for her. Yeah, actually, yeah. it should be like a real. It should have like a character design kit, just like uh, you know, in a video game. There you go. Nailed it. Schmalis really wants everybody to fuck their own species and race. <laughs> Remember that species is a. Uh, what do I want to say? It's a stand-in for race in science fiction. Oh, often they just say race. Sometimes, yes. Usually, they just say race. Yeah. So. Uh, those are my quick hitters. I gave best actor to the Vulcan hologram. She just stood there and didn't say anything, but this was a bad episode. <laughs> She's the winner. She didn't uh, like bust a smile while this dumb scene was going on, so good for her. Yep. Uh, worst actor I gave to Angry Vorik, who is somehow less menacing than normal Vorik. <laughs> he seemed like a really angry little kid. <laughs> yeah. Because he, like, he so. puts his arms at his side and he like, stomps his feet. Looked like a little weird little angry kid. Surely you have some quick yeah. hitters from this trash. Uh, again, they cannot stay away from the caves. Um, I said, oh, oh no, Vorik gave a look on the holodeck with the doctor when he makes a remark about Vorik's sexual issues that was, like, so sassy. Um, yeah. Then I have, acting is hard, huh? I would quit acting if they made me grind up on John David Booty. I can never remember this guy's white name, so I went with a random USC QB. <laughs> Like, if they, seriously. Are sorry, are you talking about Robert Duncan Thank you. McNeil? Yeah, Robert Duncan McNeil. Tom Paris. <laughs> if they made me, like, grind up all on that guy and, like, growl at him and stuff, I'd be like, you know what? I don't really like acting. Yeah. Turns out I'm, I'm not gonna, into it. I'm going to go do sales. Yeah, I know there's a sales job waiting for me. Um, No offense, but it looks like Chaco was just kind of pushing those rocks aside when he finds TP and Torres. Did they not try to move the rocks? Uh, no, they were busy doing sex for us. They should have tried to move the rocks, I think. Because Chaco's just, like, carefully pushing them out of the way. That was it. That episode was fucking terrible. Yeah, Ben didn't have quick hitters. Um, in fourth place last week was Enterprise. Okay. So this week we watched Exile. Hoshi, uh, yeah. No, that's it. Sorry. You just can't, can't get enough of that good, good song. Yeah. 
Hoshi's getting ready for bed when she hears a man's voice speaking to her. And she catches a glimpse of him in the shadows, but when she calls security and turns around, he's uh, he's not there. So you can imagine how excited I was about this episode. Yeah, we're definitely going to have just a real good episode. In the uh, war room, T-Pole shows Archer some analysis she's done of the anomalies they've encountered, which suggests the location of a second sphere less than four light years away so they set a course for it that's continuity i remember, I remember the that sphere, sphere yeah that the pirates were using as a base but it seemed to generate anomalies well uh, there's two of them now great um reed's scans of the ship haven't turned anything up and it seems like he thinks she's hallucinating or whatever so she goes to flocks and he's like nah i mean you're normal but like even if it is a hallucination who cares <laughs> basically He's real. Who cares about the whole thing? Yeah, he's like, oh, my planet is fucking amazing. We love hallucinations. So why don't you just get over it? It don't matter. Five minutes later, she's in the war room and she starts hearing the whispering again. And then the monitors show a specific planet. Then she sees her own face. Yeah. Then she's in a corridor. Then she's on a weird gothic castle. Yeah, weirdly, <sighs> when the monitors start showing her face, she doesn't try to find the camera. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't go, record, 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 record. <laughs> I'd be like, I think I know where this camera is. I can see my face on the monitor. So, again, there's no evidence of anything. Archer has her placed under observation. Uh, then this old boy appears to her in the guise of flocks, and he tells her that his telepathy only works with rare individuals, and she's the first one he's found in years. Hmm. And he wants to meet her, and he's got information or whatever, so... She uh, she convinces Archer that this is all worth checking out. They go to the castle that we saw in her mind. The door opens for them spookily. Yep. And uh, and then the, she meets this alien who had been presenting himself as a human, but now he's like uh, a meatball with a million bug legs sticking out of his head. <laughs> that's, not, that's not wrong. Um, look, we should be grateful he wasn't presenting himself as an Asian male. Boy, that is true. That's how they would have done it in most of the series. Yeah. She would have imagined an Asian man. That's, right. yeah, that's, that's who she that's has right. to fantasize about. Uh, yeah, no, he's some anyway, kind of weird. He's got so many antennae or whatever they are. They're gross. This old boy is Tarquin. Oh, right, yes. So that's his name. I'll say it a bunch more times. Okay. He um he claims that he is a touch telepath, and if he can touch a Zindi item, he can help them find the Zindi. Hmm. So, Archer brings him a piece of the weapon that fired on Earth, which he's been carrying around, I guess. Not the weapon that killed Trip's sister. The very same. Oh, boy. But he's got conditions. Uh, Hoshi has to stay with him while he works. Totally on the level. Yeah. Uh, By the way, nobody thinks this is a good idea. Nope. (laughs) It's not like uh, everyone's like, well, this guy seems nice. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. Everyone's like, uh... This creep keeps appearing in your brain, and now he wants you to stay here while he works for like three days? Yeah, they, she literally maybe, says she'll sleep with her fucking phaser under her pillow. Yeah, maybe say no, but uh, she's like, ah, no, I'm tough, I'll stay, whatever. Alright, so the ship heads off. The ship leaves. This is not necessary, but they've got to go check out this sphere. Uh, so they go while while Hoshi's down here with, on the, with the creep, on the creep planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And he gives her a bunch of human junk food that he got out of her memory and then sits in front of empty plates like a creep to watch her eat. Yeah, he gets her some fucking Sparrow and shit. Yeah. He uh, tells her that he has been exiled from his homeworld due to his telepathy, which is extremely rare among their species. Uh, And uh, this guy is like the holodeck sailing instructor from Voyager. He's a lonely weirdo who thinks he's found a kindred spirit. Yes. He's been in her brain and he does a bunch of, uh, you're very lonely and I'm very lonely, etc., etc. He gives her a book in a dead language because he knows she'll be into that. Yeah, at some point he tells her he wants to be her sex grandpa or something. It's pretty weird. Yeah. He's like, oh, the only person you ever liked was your grandpa. I'll be him. Oh, he d- yeah, he does. I'll be yeah, your it's grandpa. Weird. It's real weird. Call uh, me Pop Pop. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my weird head. <laughs> Uh, Enterprise arrives at the second sphere, and it's like a real twisted scenario. <laughs> yes, it's like, it is. It's like the ship's morphing around all CG. It's real bad. Yeah, the corridors don't lead to the right place. It turns out that the anomalies that the second sphere is generating are, like, even stronger. Which, honestly, uh, T-Paul's data should have shown. But that's fine. They can't get close to it with Enterprise, so Archer has Trip line a shuttle pod with Trellium D, which, of course, means uh, T-Pole has to stay away from the area. She can't come on the mission, etc., etc. I wonder if that's going to affect their ability to have those uh, late-night massage sessions or whatever. He's probably going to have that shit all over him. Oh, yeah, he's probably probably fumes coming off of him and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, While they do that, Hoshi goes to check up on Tarquin's progress, and he... Uh, he tells her, hey, did you know the Zindi are like, there's like a bunch of different ones. And she's like, yeah, boy, this is going great, huh? Yeah, we knew that. Thanks for telling me the shit we already knew. You're the worst telepath ever. I mean, I, he tells her that the different races don't get along, but like, that's nothing. Yeah, that's a guess. Anyway, he's going to need more time to learn where they're building this weapon. And he shows her his special telepathy orb mm. and lets her touch it. And she sees a bunch of different images at once. And they seem foreshadowy, but I'm not going back through to write down what they were. Yeah, don't bother. Um, but he also, earlier, gave her instructions to stay inside the castle. Which, again, that's definitely not a red flag. <laughs> and she doesn't. She goes outside, and there's a bunch of graves out there. He shows up right behind her and shouts at her. Despite the fact that he could have just gone out there at any time and gone, Yeah, those are some graves. Well, I'm not the first person who lived here. <laughs> that's right. Like, he could have played it way cooler than this. Yeah, literally, if that was the whole explanation, she probably wouldn't even have had a follow-up question. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. Are there graves? I sweep them. I keep them clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not the first person exiled here. Anyway, he doesn't. He doesn't play it cool at all, and he tells her, these are his former companions. He was He's more than 400 years old, and all these women died of old age. But don't worry, they were totally happy. <sighs> It's starting to look like he's not going to let her leave. Yeah. Uh, especially when she doesn't feel good about this whole encounter and he starts projecting himself into her mind in his human form again. Yeah. Back uh, back in the other plot, the shuttle passes through the distort. Now that it's got trellium on it, it passes through the distortions like they're not even there. Mm. Gets through the cloaking barrier. The sensors get damaged, passing through the barrier. They land on the sphere to do repairs. Trip fucks it up somehow. The shuttle starts floating away and they have to shoot at it. This is nothing. This is not, None of this is Literally anything. the entire B-plot is just a way for them to, at the end of the episode, go, oh, we think we have a map of all these spheres. 
Yeah, essentially. That's it. And for them to be away long enough for the thing that's happening on the planet to be creepy. Yep. They head back to Tarquin's world. He makes one last attempt to convince Hoshi to stay. And then Archer comes into her room and he says, uh, listen, this has been super useful. Uh, he's willing to keep doing this work as long as our ship's in range, but you're going to have to stay here to do it. And she's like, uh, ah, you're not Archer. This is a disguise. You're Tarquin in disguise, right. et cetera, et cetera. It turns out she's right. Uh, meanwhile, he's got some ability to disable the Enterprise. Yeah, they don't really explain it much. All the shit gets shut down. Uh, Hoshi goes to confront him. He threatens the Enterprise. She picks up his telepathy orb and threatens to smash it. Everyone forgets that she brought a phase pistol with her. Uh, he relinquishes control of the ship, and they leave without any new information on the Zindi. But with the scans that they got on the second sphere... T-Paul does math a little better, and she realizes that there's at least 50 of these goddamn things. And Archer says, did it ever occur to you, which is a weird way to phrase it, <laughs> did it ever occur to you that the spheres might be creating the expanse? And then she's like, yeah, I mean, that could be happening. What's this about? Yeah, why, are you, why are you mad about it? Why are you angry What's at me? What's this sudden attitude about, I just discovered that there were 50 of these things one minute ago. What do you mean, did it ever occur to you? <laughs> yeah, he's <clears> a real <throat> fucking whiny jerk. Uh, as they speed away, Tarquin appears one last time and give her a piece of information, coordinates for his Zindi colony, where he claims part of the weapon's being built. And also just, I think, assume so she can't sleep that night. Yeah, he's a real fucking asshole. So, Matt, what's this dumb episode about? God. Um, okay. Sometimes people are as ugly inside as they are outside. This guy didn't turn out to be one of those nice gentle monsters. Actually, a real whiny jerk. He's a real piece of shit. So like you said, he's maybe the most incel of all of them this week. This is the guy you were referring to, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is definitely the I mean, it's Star Trek, so you never to. know. It could be another guy out there. Um, So I guess it's not normally what TV tells you, right? If a guy, if usually the monster turns out to have, be a nice guy. He's like a heart of gold. Yeah. Yeah. In a Beauty of the Beast or a Phantom of the Opera or whatever. Mm. The young woman will eventually learn to love her weird captor. I did say somewhere in my notes that this is like Beauty and the Beast, except without all those scary wolves. So I don't remember the wolves. They're scary, bro. It doesn't have a talking teapot either. <laughs> no, that's true. I guess I should have said that. That would have been more specific. <laughs> no one sings once in this thing. Uh, anyway, for me, that was as much as a four. Just for being different. Uh, we're we're actually not too far off. Uh, I gave it as many as five, and the take for me is: no matter how special you are, no one has to fall in love with you. God, that'd be great, right? <laughs> like, you can't. It's not how it works. That ain't the that ain't the scenario. Yeah, I'm glad you're different and unique and special, but like, bro, your head looks like a mess. I'm giving them some credit here because. Like, uh, stalking is still not taken particularly seriously today. Sure. It was for sure a joke on TV at this time. Oh, yeah. What is so, this, 1996 like, or something? This is two, 2002. Oh, sorry, this I forgot where it is Enterprise, not Voyager. Um, but still, I, I feel like that means we're doing sci-fi here. Like, we're going against a prevailing attitude with these stories of these sort of 
basically uh, what has become incels now. So, by the way, it's just gotten worse, just like with the Deep Space Nines we're going through. <laughs> yes. We did not learn the lesson of the episode, and it's just gotten worse. Yeah. We should, uh, incels should be called Tarquins. Yeah, in the last, <laughs> that's going to be a great name. In the last ep- uh, scene, when he shows up in her quarters again, she literally says to him, it's not okay for you to be here. Like, yeah. you can't, I'm uncomfortable with you being here. You can't be here anymore. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, this is the last time. But it's only going to be the last time because they're out of range. Otherwise, this fucker would be showing up all the live long Why don't you love me? I'm just here to watch you shower. What's wrong with that? Um, Ben gave... I gave it a five. Ben gave it a one. Just because you're weird looking creepy doesn't mean you're a creeper. Except this guy is a creeper. I see. He says, I mean, in this case, it does mean exactly that. That guy's an asshole. Uh, No, exactly. Heck, something like, what would you do to accomplish your mission? No one wants her to do it. Yeah. That is the thing, is that she puts pressure on herself to go into this uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Like, Archer's like, I don't... This is dumb and wrong. You definitely shouldn't do this. And she's like, I'll be okay. Yeah, for the mission. She doesn't want to be seen as a little sissy. But that's pressure she's putting on herself. Yeah, and then also she does a lot of walking around in her nightie, which I know that that's not an excuse. Like you can't, you can't no, no, be a creeper because someone's in a nightie. But also, like, what? Let's. But it's such a baffling character choice yeah. that I, I still think it's bad TV. Like, what are you doing? Like, I just can't understand why she would be comfortable doing that at all. Like you say to Archer, I'll sleep with my face pistol under my pillow, but then you're just like wandering the halls in the middle of the night or whatever, and you're. Oh, this girl's not interested in me. Sec- this guy's not interested in me sexually at all. He just wants to watch me eat a hamburger. That's <laughs> right. It's a totally normal thing that dudes like. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ben turned around and gave it a four on execution. Good prosthetics and makeup on the weird dude. Um, he forgot what the ticking clock is on why Enterprise can't stay around to bomb the shit out of the guy if he starts acting up. Oh, yeah, it's that sphere investigation. Uh, it's because there's none. There's no reason that they couldn't go to the sphere later. Or maybe leave a few dozen Makos. Uh, bad CG, though. Lining the shuttle with Trellium does make sense. Uh, and um, shooting down their own shuttle pod was weird. Seems like a bad plan, too, waiting for it to revolve as it floated away. Um, uh, yeah, that scene was filler. What did you think of the execution? Uh, I gave it four points. Okay. So, uh, it advances the Zindi and Sphere plots, and I think it adds some some eventual tension about this Trellium D thing, right? Because now they've got... Like, when they lined the shuttle with it, it worked so good. Yeah, they flew right through that ship. That it's like, oh, if we just lined the whole ship with this this region of space would be a lot less menacing, but there's one person and only one person. Yeah. That means we can't do it. So I think it adds tension. I don't know whether it'll pay off at any point, but I think it's there. Well, this is the most uh, interested show in continuity. So maybe. Yeah, that's true. The uh, slapstick shuttle stuff was not as good. No. And the characters make all make wild, bad decisions throughout this whole episode. That's the enterprise way. Uh, but there are, again, I've mentioned it a couple of times because it was effective. When the dude sits down in front of those empty plates to watch her eat dinner, it really turned the creepiness factor up for me. So I'm giving him credit for that little, because they could have just put a fucking hamburger in front of him too, right? Yeah. But he sat down at all, at the other end of the table in front of an empty place setting. I also like CPK. And I I enjoyed that. Yeah. It really was CPK, by the way. (laughs) I know he said it was from fucking Fazoli's in San Francisco or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I, what about you? I gave it four. How come nobody on TV ever just goes, no, listen, I didn't have an uneasy feeling. There was a dude right there in the corner, a real man person who spoke words to me. I wasn't just feeling paranoid. Either I'm 100% batshit or a dude was there. Yeah. On TV, they always go, oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, that's weird. I mean, it seems so real, but uh, yeah, I guess maybe it's, maybe I was just imagining things. Maybe it's just stress. Like, huh? Right. What? No, there was a guy there. He's talked to you. Hey, uh, hey, I get stressed. Do you know what happens? It makes my face feel hot and I get heartburn. <laughs> There's no shadowy dudes in the corner being like, hey, exactly. Judah, I finally found you. Yeah, it's n- never so far. Okay. Um, okay, none of what this guy did to me was shocking, surprising, tricky, or unexpected in any way. He was sort of a rote, fucking gross creep weirdo. Who, yeah, he was sex trolling. Love basically. me. I'm special. Yes. Um, and the sphere diversion was nothing. Again, yeah, outs- not really was. Outside of T-Pole doing some math and figuring out how many spheres there might be. And that mission to the surface of the sphere was dumb, too. All in all, there was not a lot going on in this one. Uh, for me, it was just a two. Uh, but surely they did some world building. But of course, those big spheres, uh, they think cause all the anomalies in the expanse and maybe the created the whole expanse itself, at least 50 of them. Did it also suggest to you, by the way, no, no, you ask it the right way. Did it ever occur to me? (laughs) Did it ever occur to you (laughs) that that might be the reason why you never hear about the Delphic expanse in any of the later Star Treks is that they're going to do something. Maybe they're going to do a business on it. I actually don't. Maybe the spheres are going to have troubles. I don't actually, I've watched all these and I don't remember how they get out of the expanse. So maybe that could be. Um, for some reason, hallucinating is way cool on Denobula. I don't, <laughs> They're into it. It doesn't say why, just that it's cool. Or why it should matter that it's okay if Denobulans hallucinate when they have stress. Yeah. She's not a Denobulan. Like he just wants, he wants to make her feel like it's okay that she's crazy. <laughs> this dude claims he can hold an object and learn about its makers. He can also make pizza and he's hundreds of years old and needs a new wife every once in a while. Um... Okay, so at least most of these anomalies don't hurt anybody. They just make stuff zany. Yeah, but, although that ripped that ladder up pretty good. But as soon as I said that, all those panels started exploding. So okay, there you shit go. Shit started popping off. Uh, that old language reminds Hoshi of medieval Klingon. Yep. Um, shuttles are real bouncy. That shuttle does a bunch of bouncing. Uh, that is true. And I guess, to me, the sphere mystery and continuity brought this to a three. It's a hollow sphere the size of a large moon. It's not. It's not entirely hollow, right? But I think it's supposed to be mostly hollow. Yeah, there. I mean, they were definitely the pirates were hiding in the other one. I don't know what was in there. It probably doesn't have real high surface gravity. That could be true. Just a thought. Yeah. Uh, I gave it four. Okay. Uh, so in addition to the things you said, Hoshi can translate a book with no outside sources. Yeah, just by looking at it. We see how well the Trellium D works. Mm-hmm. Despite endless internet criticism, Hawaiian pizza survives at least another century. Good point. Um, the sphere shit. How can this guy take care of that big castle with 80 candles lit all the time? <laughs> he doesn't have any staff. He doesn't have like weird fish nuns walking around cleaning up the joint. No, this you is not I mean? a Skywalker situation. 
Right. Yeah, good question. So many fucking candles, man. It's like a sting <laughs> video in there. Uh, this week it was him who he'll pick the song. Yeah, that's true. He's, he'll choose. He's the one. Um, and I'm a four on characterization. Okay. We checked in with Ben on this episode at all. Uh, yeah, we did uh, his take and execution. Yeah, he was a three on world building. Yeah, the the expanse might be manufactured a race with psychic abilities. Oh, this is by the way the first time we've seen a race that has what appears to be an appropriate response to telepaths. <laughs> to get them out of the fucking way, move Just, them out. Hey, beat it, beat it. We are not interested in having you in our heads and watching us eat hamburgers. Please leave. Go live in the nice castle, man. We're done. Yeah, we can't do it. Uh, he he's a three for characterization. Um. They really underplay the nightmare that Hoshi is living. (laughs) Like, they make it seem like it sucks. But if she can just get out of there, it'll all be fine. Yeah. Everyone else is barely in it. I didn't like how cavalier Reed and Flocks were about Hoshi's hallucinations for the ten minutes before they knew it was real. Oh, and like, no apologies either when they find out. Nah. Everyone's just like, alright, we're on to the next shit. Uh, listen, I promise the next time I will take this more seriously. Sorry, we called you crazy and put you under observation. Yeah, sorry, that did suck, huh? Uh, I had it as a four, but it's a three. I'm sorry. Mm, I agree, it's a three. The um, Reed is nicer than usual when telling Hoshi she's probably just being paranoid. Like he's sort of trying not to be a jerk, but can't help himself. It might just be sexism. Could be. Uh, Hoshi admits she's a hysterical woman and that her fallopian tubes make her see things sometimes. <laughs> but that's not what this is! And she does say that she knows she has what, problems with emotional control? Yeah. She volunteers to stay behind and watch this weirdo work for the good of the mission. <clears throat> she used to make up excuses not to eat soba noodles? Why? Soba's delicious. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of with her here. I don't love soba noodles. Whoa, okay. Well, she maybe has a thing for that nice boy who sits on the bridge and gets to talk every three episodes. Travis is his name, I think. Is that what comes up? The guy says Travis? Yeah. And then she says, I was just thinking about Travis. Yeah, it sounds like she might have a I thing I, too, for thought him. that it was going to be a thing where, like, Archer would never have called him Travis right there. <laughs> That's right. But no, she was just like... I was just thinking about Travis. <laughs> and then she's like, all right, I'll just go back to the ship and get my stuff. And he very obviously goes, no, 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 no need. No need. I will have a set down. There's no need for you to trouble yourself. Don't come get, don't come to the ship. He's not very good at this. Um, Yeah, so three for me. Okay. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> look, look, I don't know what to say. Okay. You want me to do some quick hitters? I kind of yeah, get the feeling your hitters. heart's not in this. Is it, do you, don't tell me you want to quit this project, your favorite project. This is just, this is not a good episode. No, it's not. Here's the, like, I know that I gave it a five point take. And That's it, like, yeah. so score, score wise, I didn't really shit all over this episode that much. Although I did, I did lower a number or two. You did dock it as you went along. And in the Voyager. Yeah. But like, this episode sucked. Yeah, no, it was like, okay, do you remember that episode where Padma Lakshmi was a princess who hated Trip because he was a workman <laughs> and then her skirt ripped and then uh-huh. she, they did sex or whatever? 
Yes, like this is in the, in the swamp. It's like this is the same kind of thing, and that it's just dumb tropey television that doesn't do anything. It's just nothing. Yeah, it really is. What if we did Beauty and the yeah. Beast this week? Well, but, but he's hey, not let's, all but bad. we'll flip it. But like, still, but he was all bad. It turns out. Um, yeah. All right, let me do these fucking quick hitters. Yeah, give them to me. Shit. I had who's this Asian chick in the teaser? Because we ain't seen her around a lot. Yeah, she didn't get a lot of time, but don't worry, she's in this one a lot, and. Also, don't worry. She's mostly going to be out of uniform. Uh, in case you were worried. <laughs> I was so glad they didn't have her covering her own tits this time. That was good. Um, what kind of ball is that? That one that Archer's playing with? Jeez. It's, uh, it's a weird... It is a weird ball. Yeah. It's like... It almost seems like it's for an aquatic sport oh, of some kind. Oh, okay. Um, if... I couldn't tell if the first bounce was so much bounce because of the anomaly, or if a... Like, I've never thrown a water polo ball against a metal wall. Do they bounce real good? I have no idea. Uh, if Hoshi and Archer are so worried about this guy being a pervo, why, again, why is she walking around in her little nightgown, her little satin nightgown or whatever? Uh, this guy wants to be your sex grandfather. I already said that. Marshawn's note about Archer. I hate his stupid face. <laughs> so that, that made it into the notes. Again, it's like Beauty and the Beast without all the scary wolves. No, put down my cheap plastic egg. Remember? Oh yeah, his crazy crystal or whatever is like the cheapest, most plastic-looking thing I've ever seen. Really bad yeah, job. They definitely, by the props team. they definitely just poured some resin and didn't get all the bubbles out and shit. It's horrible. Anyway, that's it. That's all I had for this piece of trash. Did Ben write any quick hitters? Sometimes he doesn't. Directed, Directed by, by Roxanne, Roxanne Dawson. Dawson. Yeah. yeah. I assume you already uh, knew that. Three, Yeah, three of the episodes this week are directed by Star Trek alums. Garrick directed Voyager. Yeah. This one was directed by Bolana and uh, the Deep Space Nine that we'll get to in a, uh, ah shit, in a whole hour at least. Yeah, a while from now. Uh, was the last Deep Space Nine directed by Jonathan Frakes. Well. So it's a three pack. Awesome. Uh, he thought that the uh, exterior view of the castle looked like Gondor from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, it definitely was was high gothic. It helps to change your appearance when your head is full of skeletal fingers, he writes. All right, well, that's true. Um, let's see, some quick hitters. The uh, waves from two points intersect everywhere. But I guess a discussion about constructive and destructive interference is too much for this dumb show. Yes. Uh, and I wrote, finally, an alien race that takes telepathy seriously. Finally. Why did Hoshi bring this little dress and sandals number on this trip? Why? To, you know, the trip to stay with the uncomfortable weirdo? And then... Was this like, what if it's going really good? Then? That's right. I think that's why that can only be it, where she was like, although... Because this is not even the nightgown we see her wearing later. This is like resort wear. Oh, you're right. Yeah, she does. She has a couple of little things she's yeah. going on. I just and and again, she can wear whatever she wants sure. and doesn't I'm give not him the right. It does not. However, why why is this character comfortable wearing anything other than her uniform around this guy? Which she starts off in. Yes. Yeah. Is the episode better if Hoshi just shoots him in the end? Yes. And then she's got to go up there and deal with the fact that she killed... Like, yeah, he was a creep. She definitely did do a kill. She did a kill on this guy. Uh, we would definitely be asking the question why it was okay for everyone in Starfleet to do murders. But, I mean, that guy 
That guy was eh, fucking I mean, weird. this one doesn't seem that murdery. He was trying to keep her there. That's true. For a thousand years. And he had disabled the Enterprise. Oh, luckily, she found that plastic egg. That's it. Right. I give best actor to Tarquin and worst actor to Hoshi. I mean, there's no choices in this one. There's <laughs> really the only two characters in it. Trip does a whoopsie and sets the shuttle loose, but I mean, that's not acting. Yep. Third place last week was TOS. Oh, okay. This week we watched The Enterprise Incident. A medical log from McCoy starts the episode, which is unusual. Yeah, we're in it right away. And he is worried about Kirk, who we see being real shirty with the bridge crew before ordering a move into the Romulan neutral zone. Yeah, just out of fucking nowhere. They blast clean through that and into actual Romulan space, uh, seemingly without orders. And then a Klingon ship decloaks in front of them, although Spock reminds everybody that Romulans are now known to be using Klingon designs. We gotta, um, we only got so many models and we got, <laughs> we're using this model this week. So it's, they use the, they use this kind now, guys. Everyone remember. The, uh, by the way, the suspicion, <laughs> the suspicion uh, was, this was a new model. Ah. And the suspicion is that they, they wanted to show this one off uh, because they're, you know, for the actual model maker that sells them at hobby shops. <laughs> They're trying to show, show off the merch. Merchandising. Yeah, m- merchandising, exactly. Great. Soon they're surrounded by three of these ships. In the remastered version, they replaced one with a bird of prey. That was smart of In them. In the original, it was three identical Klingon cruisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sub-commander Tall calls and demands their surrender. Uh, and then he gives them an hour to make up their mind, which is a long time, but who cares? Tall, I like to think of as the Tay of his time. My, the, my name the t- is Tay. He is the Tay of his time, and he's not like, I don't know, more of these starships aren't coming. We can give them however long we want. That's right. There's no clock here. Um, In the briefing room, Kirk and Spock uh, decide, discover, that the Romulans must have uh, improved their cloaking device because they didn't know those guys were there at all. No. So... Now the Romulan commander calls. I don't know why she didn't call him the first time, but she calls this time. She wants to see Spock and Kirk aboard her ship. So they do a hostage hostage exchange with the Romulans. It's weird because the Romulans are definitely, they got the upper hand here, but. They really don't need to do this hostage exchange, like at all. But don't worry, in TOS, the Romulans are kind of cool. Yeah. They're like kind of cool guys. Well, they got they're not jerks. They got chairs. The Romulan. They got some cool lay down chairs, loungy chairs that Riker would love. Oh yeah, he would. Um, the commander has uh, Spock wait in the hall while she questions Kirk. So this is not her first interrogation, right? She asks him why he's there. He makes up a story about an instrument failure that we know is a lie, but don't worry, she also doesn't believe it. Yeah, uh, it's the opposite of the enemy. Yes. Except uh, except in the enemy, it's not. I don't know. They make the mistake of saying a whole light year past the end. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, Well, if they were at warp, I mean, that would have been real easy. Well, hang on. That's not far. Yeah. Um, so she doesn't believe it. 
She brings Spock in, asks him the same question, and he won't lie to her, but he does a lame Fifth Amendment thing. Yeah. And the Romulan's like, I knew it. I knew Kirk was a liar. And she uh, takes him off to be tortured. Yep. At this point, Spock steps in and says, uh, here's the thing. He's gone insane. He is unfit for command. He's been under all kinds of stress, et cetera, et cetera. He shouted at my good friend Chekhov earlier. It was very rude. He was mean on the bridge, which is not like him. It's a little I mean, like him. To Uhura. Uhura, yeah. He's always mean to Uhura. But not to Chekhov. No, that's his boy. He's not that green. <laughs> um, so the commander uh, tells Scotty, who's in command, to uh, to follow her back to Romulus, and where the crew will be released. But, of course, he refuses. Uh, Kirk yells at Spock and calls him a traitor and a half-breed or whatever as he gets yelled <laughs> as he gets dragged off. His go-to plan. And the Romulan immediately, Romulan commander immediately starts trying to turn Spock. Yeah. She questions him about his loyalties. She offers him advancement in the Romulan service. She gives him food. She, she makes him plomeek soup or whatever. They don't have food on Enterprise. Well, she does definitely insinuates that the Romulans can do Vulcan food better. Well, Troy disagrees because like, she smelled better venerine on prison ships. Th- how does she know that the, the Enterprise doesn't have a straight-up Vulcan cook? That's, she do not know nothing. She it's true. She do not know nothing. She didn't know Spock was on this ship. Yeah. Spock uh, starts to bargain with her. She needs the Enterprise intact. He starts to pretend to go along with this thing. I don't know. Could it be possible that we're supposed to believe he's maybe tempted? Um, man, they would have to think very little of their audience to be like, maybe this week Spock turns traitor. It's troubling because they play this whole thing so straight. Yeah. Um, Kirk injures himself in the torture room and they bring McCoy over. And Spock and the commander, Romulan commander, go down. To, I keep saying that because they never give her name. Yeah, lady, uh, go down to sick bay to see him, and uh, on the way there, we start to see hands like Spock shames her into dismissing her guards, and he almost walks into the secret red corridor. Uh, when they get to sick bay, uh, McCoy confirms that Kirk is not fit for command, and Kirk attacks, and Spock subdues him with a what looks like a mind meld, but he calls it the Vulcan death grip, and McCoy pronounces Kirk dead. Right. They take us at this point. I think we know it's a ruse. Yeah, I don't think we thought uh, Kirk got killed off. You're right. They take his body back to Enterprise, but he wakes up in front of uh, Chapel. McCoy has to let her in on the big secret. This whole thing is plausible deniability. Ha Kirk is. Kirk tells her to tell the rest of the crew that he's dead, so that it when this thing all inevitably goes tits up, they're not in trouble. Right. McCoy makes Kirk look like a Romulan. They bring Scotty down to look at him. Uh, gets a uniform from one of the hostages. Commander's still basically trying to seduce Spock. She's into him at this point. Kirk beams over to their ship, pretending to be a Centurion. Uh, again, trying to get access to that good, good red corridor. That's where the good stuff is. Um, but he uses his communicator to talk to Spock, and Subcommander Tall is on the ball. And he's like, nah there's communications going on in this ship and he goes right to um uh i guess we see spock do hand party with the romulan commander uh, yeah it's gross 
Kirk karate chops a guard, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, Tall busts in on the two lovebirds and to tell them that the alien transmission came from her own room, and she immediately realizes that this whole thing is a deception and they're after the cloaking device. It helps that Spock doesn't even try to like keep the ruse going. He just pulls the communicator out of his pocket as soon as the guy and says And shows it. it to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spock, the, in this whole episode, Spock seems very pessimistic that this is going to work. Well, it's kind of a bullshit plan, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kirk tricks a guard into revealing which piece of equipment in the Romulan engine room is the cloaking device, and then he just beams out with it. He just picks it up and beams out. Uh, they have a karate fight, though. Yeah, I, I mean, they do. He beats him with a judo chop, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he tells Scotty to start installing it, because this is their escape plan. They're going <laughs> to use the cloaking device. Yep. It's like when they stole that phase cloak from that asteroid, and that's how they escaped that asteroid in the Pegasus. So, so the Romulan commander feels betrayed by Spock. Uh, she starts getting a boarding action ready. She sentences Spock to death. Spock essentially filibusters to give Kirk time to get out of there, and Kirk also uses the time to scan for Spock. And because everyone has forgotten about transporters and shields in this episode... yeah. They just beam him out. Yeah. Uh, but the commander jumps on his back, Star Trek Four style. Yeah, she even says peekaboo or whatever. Right. And so now Spock's back, commander's on the ship, they're running from the uh, warships, the cloaking device doesn't work, but then it does work, and they turn, and the Romulans miss them. They have escaped, they have the cloaking device. Kirk tells the Romulan commander he'll let her off at the nearest star base, tells Spock to escort her to her quarters. The two of them talk in the turbo lift about how Spock really did have feelings for her, how military secrets are ultimately fleeting, they part ways, and then uh, Kirk goes to have his ears bobbed, and there's one long, silent bridge shot to credits. It was weird how long it was. Yes. Usually there's a joke. Yeah, they they think they wrote one and Chatter decided not to do it. And they just went, well, now what's this? Up? Uh, I guess we're just doing a tracking shot today. Um, huh? uh, guys, it came in 18 seconds short. Can we just... I'm not doing the joke. Pan across the bridge? Not this week. All right. What's this episode about? Uh, I have an otherwise peace-loving people must accept preemptive offensive action against an enemy that threatens to tilt the balance of power against them. Um, I guess. Uh, is this like 1960s uh, uh, realpolitik leading into Gene, like leaking into Gene's sandbox is what I have written. Yeah. I'd give it more points if it wasn't NBC asking on behalf of the Pentagon if it's okay to do war adventures all over the damn place. And how many points did you give it? That's as much as five. It's an interesting question. We will get into execution why they don't necessarily do it. Um, it's an interesting question, but it it does seem like it's once again NBC being asked to like maybe make it okay for Starfleet to do a Vietnam or something or whatever. Yeah, we have had the episode about how the Vietnam War is the only right way to fight the Cold yeah, War. Yeah, like the brush already. wars. So we have seen certain instances. Yes, the brush wars in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBC definitely towing the line. Yeah. Uh, I gave this a six and I had a slightly different angle on this episode. Okay. I thought that this, well, what I wrote was in statecraft, 
even fleeting advances in position can have tremendous personal cost to the actors bringing them about. Kirk and Spock have to uh, go on this mission and it puts their lives and also their reputations on the line, right? They risk being denounced. That's the plausible deniability aspect of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like if this goes wrong for Kirk, he's dead for sure. But also in history... He was the crazy guy. You flew the ship into the neutral zone. crossed the neutral zone Mm -hmm. and lost the Enterprise. And maybe the crew got repatriated, right? But Enterprise is now in the Romulan capital city. Right. Like, they, Kirk and to a lesser extent Spock, bear all of the cost of this mission. And then at the end, the Romulan commander is like, you know, we'll be able to penetrate this cloaking device that you've stolen real soon. And Spock's like... Uh, yeah, of course. Obviously. Of course, this was nothing. Yeah, you think you invented the forever tech? Yeah, no. Yeah. He says military secrets are the most, uh, he might say fleeting or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that. that's right. Um. So the the advantage that the Federation gets is momentary best on the cost. Uh, the potential cost is all to Kirk and Spock, right? So, yeah. And this episode was loosely based on the Pueblo incident. Mm-hmm. When the, where the North Koreans captured a ship and then accused everybody of spying. And uh, at the time this was written, I'm sure it was like, well, what were they even doing there? Yeah. Right? And so it, this is a version where they were there to spy. Uh, they get away with it in this one because it's Star Trek. But, like, they're taking all of the risk for this. So I it loses some points because this is not really broadly applicable. Like, this is about spying. Oh, yeah. But I I thought that the take was less raw raw than you so i gave it six points okay uh ben and then i had to spend 10 minutes explaining it so that that'll tell you that that was surely what the episode was supposed <laughs> that's to be. right and ben gave it a three he says uh long history together creates deep trust he says he thinks he might have had a better mind uh taken mind but he forgot all right maybe he had a lot it's- of time between doing the notes and watching these I want to be clear. It's not a good episode. Uh, I this is definitely one that will end up having more points from me than it than I enjoyed it. Yeah, he's a two on execution. Yeah, an excuse he for says, Spock to mac on a pointy-eared chick and Kirk to dress as a Romulan, which he did not look great. He looked kind of like squat in his Romulan yeah. outfit. Uh, they didn't do a good job of setting up the episode, so the audience has to take a crazy leap of faith that all the characters are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, of course, the whole thing's a setup. Everyone's being so far out of character, it would have to be. I also thought that the execution was not as good uh, as the take. I mean, I I still gave it five points, so let's just talk about okay. it. Uh, the Romulan commander leads this squadron of ships, but she is really fooled by Spock. Like She's kind of infatuated with him. Yeah. But why? Yeah. Like, give us something about, is it something about, like, being a Romulan that makes her so successful? Like, there's some vague hints that she is trying to consolidate personal power inside the Romulan Empire. And that she's trying to, that's why she's taking some big risks here, making some big plays. When Spock claims at the end that she had an effect on him. Why is that? Oh, yeah, I got notes on that. What was it? Is it physical? Is there something about her that was supposed to be admirable that I missed? Bro, I seriously like, ask in characterization if Spock is trying to set himself up to be her handler. 
it would be great, but we know that the, the show's not smart enough to do I that. I know, but I can't figure it out otherwise. I like the D7 model as much as anyone, but introducing them here as being of Klingon design is a, a weird third rail. Yeah, it must for one thing, it must be some design. Everyone wants a piece of that thing. Yeah, I guess. We literally have never seen them before, mm-hmm. but... Uh, okay. Um, but on the whole... Like, it's just it's just better than Spock's brain. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> except that Star Trek has set a low bar in this not, episode. Yeah. Like, the beats follow each other. Like, it works as a piece of television. It's just... It's a stupid piece of television. Yeah. So, like... They they filmed it all right. Like the pacing is fine. There's nothing wrong with the episode except it's stupid that they did it at all. Yeah, that's really one of the main problems. Yeah, so that's why I'm a down the middle five on this one. I also gave it a five. A super aggressive plan from the peacenik Starfleet that maybe wasn't so so much that in Kirk's time. Uh, it's a full on offensive maneuver, preemptive and sneaky as hell. This is like when Picard and Worf and Crusher make a move on the Cardis. Yeah. Uh, this obviously works out better. But it feels odd to watch it. And you're like, man, Starfleet's really getting after it on this one. They just straight... They on uh, a mission to steal enemy technology. But I guess they need to fucking know about that cloaking device. Uh, real quick, what's the name of the guy who replaces Picard in that episode? Jellico? Jellico, thank you. I'll need that for later. Okay. Um... Uh, otherwise, I do enjoy Spock playing this lady. In the newer ones, the non-human characters are often so emotionally stunted and weird that they don't even know what all that finger rubbing would be about. Yeah, Spock is kind of cool and just plays that shit out. Like, oh, okay, she's into me? I can I can work with this. So here we go. I learned it from Kirk, maybe. I don't know. Uh, he's seen, exa- like, we don't get to see it, but you know there was a moment when they were, like, maybe in a cargo bay or something. <laughs> And some woman said to Kirk, what's the matter? Have you never seen a woman before? And Kirk looked at her and said, I thought I had. And Spock was like, right, I'm writing that down. That's a good one. It was good as hell. Um, Also, he did that right in front of me. That was wild. Can you imagine Tuvok pulling this off? Can you imagine Data pulling it off? Like, could Worf pull this off? I don't think so, man. They make it so that anyone who's not a human in Starfleet is some kind of jumble of emotions. Or right. otherwise is not in touch with them at all and doesn't know how to play them. So I I did like that, that Spock at least knew what he was doing in that shit. Uh, but this plan is bonkers and makes no sense, though. Uh, it's, like, basically doomed. Like, this plan basically has no chance of succeeding and this whole crew is in for it. Yeah, and the Romulan commander? Because, yeah, yeah maybe the Romulans would... Uh, really love to take Enterprise back and let them go. Kirk leaves Scotty with orders to destroy the Enterprise himself if he has to. Yeah. Uh, and the Romulan commander doesn't seem too bright. No. So, like... And again, she's this not the commander of one ship. Yeah, she's a fucking flotilla captain. She's a, she's a Commodore here. Yeah. Like, that's not her rank, but they're probably calling her Commodore. So, the episode... The facts of the episode are bonkers. There was stuff I liked about it, so it rated a five. Uh, Ben's a four on world building. Uh, some Romulan stuff. The crew doesn't mutiny, even though Kirk's acting real crazy. 
Yeah. What's up with the Romulan uniforms, etc. Sp- spreads the myth that the Vulcans can't lie. This one definitely proves they can. Yeah, I mean, that's what the whole episode is. <laughs> he doesn't know whether the Vulcan death grip is real or, or not. Uh, where are you for world building? Uh, let me run through it. Romulans now using Klingon battlecruiser design. Still love these Romulan uniforms. I love them so much. I, I don't know. Uh, even the helmets. I love helmet guy. And his buddy, okay. other helmet guy. Those guys are my dudes. Because to me, they kind of just look like Birdman. <laughs> they do look like Birdman. <laughs> I like it so much. Okay. Um, like if Birdman had played college football in 1906. That's all I'm saying. Because well, I watched the other, I watched the TNG episode right after this, and I saw the other Romulan uniform, Romulan uniform and like, I just got so mad. I was like, God damn it. Like... You don't like the short pants? How cool. Well, the short pants are fine, but that coat and the color of it, I fucking yeah. love that shit. Uh, subspace message will take three weeks from the neutral zone. This changes like every week, even in TOS. Um, but we'll, we'll yeah, see how long it, it takes in the TNG. It's it's wild. It seems like the Romulan the Romulans fought a war with Earth a hundred years before Star Trek. It seems like the Romulan neutral zone should be pretty close to Earth. Like especially I think because that's at what that time we were told for. the Romulans didn't have warp drive. Yeah, that can't be possible, How? but still, yes. I, I think Like in the in last week's part one, Deep Space Nine. When Earth ceases to be a technological power, the only subspace signals they pick up are Romulan ones. And that's because, oh, yeah, the Romulans are, like, not far. the closest power yeah. to the Federation. But here it's three weeks by subspace to get a message to the Earth. Uh, maybe their uh, Wi-Fi is going slow. They should reset that router. Um, I guess I'm on that. I'm on that. It's got Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm on LTE. I'm not even on the good one. <laughs> Actually, I'm on the Xfinity Wi-Fi. It's not very good. I can do like email and that's about it. You know, this is just someone's home router, right? <laughs> yeah, but it said it didn't have a password. Yeah, but you know, like when it just says Xfinity and you just log in with your Xfinity account, you're just using whoever's home router is. Near well, who are we near? I don't know that apartment complex. All right, well. There's like on Remus. Is there, is there Starbucks? I forgot. Is there Starbucks nearby? I got so I got so excited to explain how the Xfinity signal works <laughs> that I forgot that we we're doing Star Trek. Sorry about that. All right. Um. Okay. I got confused because I thought in the Balance of Terror they had a cloaking device. Did they only have scary torpedoes? No, they had a cloaking device, but it didn't. It didn't like they could detect the ship while it was moving. Oh, okay. It worked while the ship was stationary, but they could detect it while it was moving, and it drew, like, huge power, et cetera, et cetera. So this cloak is a better cloak. That's so it. although they talk about the cloaking device like it's new, I think everyone has just accepted that this is just a better cloaking device. Okay. All right. So it's kind of like they had stealth. They had the F-117, but now they got the B-2. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not all, uh, it's not six polygons like the F-117. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um... I guess bowl cuts weren't in. I forget which one of those is actually more stealthy. I think the B2 is more stealthy. Yeah, well, either way. Uh, I guess bowl cuts weren't in yet on Romulus because this lady don't have one. No, she's got... uh, 60s uh, hair. Attractive lady on the 60s hair. Yeah. Romulans have also been taken in by the lie about Vulcans and telling lies. In fact, I don't think they know what to make of Vulcans at all. They definitely think they can be bought pretty easily. She thinks she can buy this dude off with a dope meal like he's Kwong Su. She seems... Well... <laughs> well, 
He is Kwong Su because he betrays her. <laughs> That's right. Betray. That's the noise Spock makes. Um, the, she, she seems a little bit like infatuated with the idea of the Vulcans. Yeah, like they've been raised on stories of the like, Vulcans. She is ready to recognize them as their sort of like distant brothers. And like, she feels like maybe, maybe she can make this work with Spock because they're related. It's not the, uh, weird attitudes well she's like the romulans in the caves she's like the cave romulans who are like into it yeah they're like joel on and true they want to they spin a vulcan dreidel or whatever and they're into jo- it joel on true judah joel on true romulan commander is that what they say i don't remember she whispers her name to spock but we don't get to hear it but he seems to like peltar joy peltar joy <laughs> also um uh the vulcan face pinch i called it i guess they called it a death grip after that um uh, there's that Romulan ale. Yes. Cent- they don't they don't call it Romulan ale, but yes. It's bright blue. Centurion is, blue. is a higher rank than whatever that helmet guy was. Yeah. Um This That's reasonable. A Centurion in the Roman army was in charge of like sixty or eighty men. That ship doesn't seem like it has that many people on it. This lady describes Romulans as savage warriors. That's definitely not how they're viewed later on from the outside. I think people think of them as, like, scheming and shadowy. Yeah, but we're in kind of a dark ages where not much is known about them. Then we pass through another period without getting to see it, where apparently we learn a lot about them. Yeah, move and counter And then they disappear again before the neutral zone. Everything's a chess move, with, with the chess game with the Romulans. Right. Um... Whatever is going on with this hand rubbing is a thing, I guess. Spock? Spock! Is this your idea of sex? Uh, You can blame this one on Nimoy. They were just supposed to make out. And then he was like, I don't know, I'm an alien. Wouldn't we do some weird shit? (laughs) Wouldn't we both as separate aliens? Maybe maybe we'll just rub our hands together. (laughs) We're two different kinds of aliens. Maybe we're both into this hand thing. Yeah. Uh... Apparently they think maybe that cloaking device can be installed in 15 minutes. And hey... It can. Yeah, sort of can. Uh, even the Romulans can't yet break the cloak. Lots of tech, Romulan stuff, subtle indications of their relations with the hated Klingons. I'd consider this to be pretty impactful. I initially gave it a six. I'm curious what you think about the world building. Oh. I gave it a standard three. Okay. So let's talk about this. The Romulan border is three weeks by subspace from Starfleet Command, so that's bad to me. Okay. I considered that just some, just a thing about yeah. it. I didn't know whether that was um, good or bad. It, that changes every week, like, how fast they can send messages. Yeah. So there's cloaking device improvements, the speed of, of technological advances, early look at Romulan-Vulcan relations, hints at the Klingon-Romulan relations, though, again, I think that's... It's best to not think about it at all. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? He said it with his mouth. I know. Like, well, he doesn't say how the Romulans got And them. we know the Klingons use those ships later. Yes. It's tough. They're going to... In, in production order, the Klingon ships use them first. Okay. In airing order, the Romulans use them first. And they just say they're Klingon. Yeah. Uh, so I think those things are distracting. <sighs> But there is, what I didn't consider was this does say some stuff about the Federation and what they're willing to do and where their principles are. And clearly they're less principled. Yeah, they are on a mission. talk. Which is something we have learned 
uh, particularly in Deep Space Nine. I think Deep Space Nine is where the Federation unravels, right? Well, they're in that giant space war. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, but there are hints, in especially in later TNG, where we haven't gotten to yet. Like, so far, when the Federation's been crummy, it's because there were fucking aliens running it. Yeah, although in recent episodes, we've heard some people say some stuff about how people possible, view the Federation. It's possible that we learn a little bit about how another alien race views the Federation in an episode we're about to talk that about. That is possible, yeah. Um, I'm going to bump it up. I had it at a three. I'll, I'll move it up to four. I don't... I hate that subspace thing. Like Because, again, the entire point of it is Enterprise is on its own. Yeah. And that's nonsense. Who's patrolling the fucking neutrals? And are we supposed to... There's no one? And so this, was this really just a Kirk plan? Because otherwise... Oh, uh, by the way, it's unclear. It seems like it couldn't possibly have been. Spock because, must at least have been all about it. Because I love that this would come. This order would come three weeks from Starfleet. So they'd send it and wait three weeks and go, boy, I hope he got that message. Well, that's true, right? And then also... Oh, no, this didn't go over subspace. Kirk picked this one up in his command packet <laughs> That's right, exactly. He opened the command And packet. he's already burned the orders. And the, they... They've been leaving enough time for Kirk to build up that he's crazy. Like, this plan's been in motion for a long time. But they go through the fucking motion of having the conference where Kirk and Spock pretend to discover that the Romans have improved their cloaking device when clearly that was the entire reason for this mission. Right. Like, they flew out there. They they did this penetration run to demonstrate that they have improved their cloaking device, right? Yeah. To test the, the waters. Eh, it doesn't matter. I give it a four. Okay. And I'm a five in characterization. All right. So Kirk is acting the whole time. He seems fine with this crazy and dangerous mission. He's too impatient to wait for the coordinates from Spock. Yeah, he just like he, he sees that he sees the fucking corridor and goes at it. Uh, it turns out that's for the best because the dude was looking out for communications anyway and he was already on the ship, but whatever, right? Spock uh, being capable of carrying off a ruse, even though everyone in the whole universe thinks Vulcans can't lie, uh, is where most of the points come from here. Yeah. I don't fully understand what's going on with the Romulan commander. We know that Spock is capable of romantic emotions. We've seen it when he got spored, yeah. for instance. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, I'm willing to accept it, but it's not actually explored. Sure. What he likes about her at all. Uh, or again, uh, you, you suggest that there's a possible in-universe explanation for, for this as well, another Vulcan lie. Mine is simply uh, trying to make up for what the writers just left there. Right. Uh, so, like I said, I can't give it as many points as if they'd actually explored it, but I'm, I'm willing to accept it. Scotty just busts onto the bridge asking when Kirk was ordered to cross the neutral zone. So clearly he's starting to get pretty full of himself, but he's good in his scenes in command. So He usually is. Command uh, Scotty's the best Scotty. Characterization was definitely not the issue with this episode. I, I gave it five points. Uh, just to go back, Ben gave it a four on world building. I don't know if we said it. Um, he said, is this the first time a Romulan is seen by Kirk? Oh, he did say it. We talked about this. Is the first? Oh, is this, is this the first time the crew doesn't plan to mutiny when Kirk is acting so crazy? And then the Romulan sweaters. Um, uh, Kirk's acting irritable until he goes crazy, and then there's no time for the. Oh yeah, because he immediately right? orders them across, and then it's. 
then they're in it. Um, in fact, he would have to. He would have known from previous examples that he could only push them so far. So he it's kind of a one shot deal with this neutral zone thing. And then he gave it a two on characterization, saying Shat playing Kirk, playing crazy was one level of hamminess too many for him. Wild eyed Kirk is a laugh riot. It's true that when he whenever he screams at Spock in one of his charades, it's usually pretty good. Uh, I mean, still the best of all time was Mirror Kirk in jail. Yes, just just ranting from the other side. Just fucking rending his garments on the other side of the force field. If they shot any part of that stuff that happened before, we didn't see it. It's just, yep. it's, he's just in there. That, By the way, uh, that did that episode win its week? It had to have, just man, go back and I, look. That, still, that episode was full of extremely good touches. It was like, that was such a good fucking choice that they made to just be like, yeah, no, on this side, though, it didn't fool anyone. They are all straight in jail because they are lunatics. Yeah, oh, they locked these guys up. Like, just at <laughs> me, just at They, they fucking showed up on the transporter pad and Spock went, nope, not the ones. These aren't the right ones. Put them in jail. Um... Anyway, um, while you look that up, I will go on. <laughs> it did not. A Matter of Honor beat it. It got 39 points, though. That's not bad. Yeah. And A Matter of Honor had some good wharf in it. And that was Mirror Mirror, right? Yes. Okay. That's weirdly, that's week 33. I thought that was way earlier than that. That's uh, maybe because there have already been so many multiple Kirk episodes. Like, there was yeah, Rape Kirk. He was pretty early. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um uh, Kirk enjoying walking around being an asshole to everybody because it's part of a plan is something that happens a lot. Um, well, we know from the episode you're referencing that that is a part of him that is vital for his commands, right? So he's just letting it out a little bit. Uh, Kirk loves Enterprise the most, but he loves Starfleet in general. He's willing to put it on record that this was all his insane plan willing to do the cloak theft his damn self and willing to risk his precious ship in the whole attempt um spock lies to this lady when he tells her it is no myth that they cannot lie that's definitely myth that's fully a myth um in the end i say is he setting himself up to be her handler seems like he's still seducing her um it makes scotty's day that kirk is alive it sure does. He is so. He pleased. doesn't. He doesn't do the full Jim. Yeah. From again, Jim. Remember, remember when this fucking show was good? Do you remember when TOS was good it's been and a while. won like sixteen of the first twenty-four weeks or something? Yeah, it was on a wild run in the beginning. And it was like, ah, see, that's inside of Spock. He's that's what he's keeping inside. Yeah. Like you just get that that and the women, of course, but that was from a much earlier version of Spock. It's a different instinct. Those are the two things he's suppressing. His love for Jim Kirk and the women. <laughs> yeah, Scotty is very pleased when Kirk is alive, and that was kind of nice to see. And I felt like McCoy was straight down the line McCoy in this. Um Yep. I by the way, I don't believe McCoy was in on the plan. Oh, I don't believe he was either. I don't believe he was in on the plan until he goes Spock to see him did the in... bogus death grip, yeah. and then he was like, wait a minute, this is just like in a muck time. <laughs> I've seen this like a million times. Um, For me, it was a six. All and right. I made it okay. I mean, again, when you ignore the whole crazy plan. Uh, Ben says, I didn't look it up, but I assumed they ran out of Romulan ship models, so they had to use Klingon ships. We're all uh, kind of on that track. We're like, something's up with the models. And then he says, no way Spock's love interest could be as young and tight as any of Kirk's, right? 
And uh, I didn't bring this up. I don't think it's even in my quick hitters, but they did. The Romulan commander is age appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I figure she has uh, got to be a commander. Of not th- just for Leonard Nimoy, but to be the commander yes. of this flotilla. To be a commander of three ships, she's got to have at least a certain amount of experience. And so they're doing a couple of things here. One is a lady in command. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I think we one of the early episodes you just did is a take, ladies are people too. <laughs> uh, yep. And then two... Uh, like, there's nothing wrong with the looks of the Romulan commander. Yeah. But this is not one of these Star Trek, this woman can't read casting decisions that they made. No, not like last week when they had to cast all the iMorgs. Oh, right. Yeah. Brain and brain, what is brain? Brain and brain, what is brain? Um, So, like, they did some good work there. Yeah, those decisions, I guess, should play in somewhere, but... She does get tricked by love. Yes, and falls hard. She falls on it. Uh, I got some quick ones. Yeah, I hope so. Was Shat out on a lake or something, or is he using crazy bronzer? Because he was very tan in the first scene when he's just ranting on the bridge. I don't know if you noticed that. I wonder... I wonder if it was an attempt to set up the Romulan makeup. What do you mean? Like... They're going to change, make him a little bit different color. Mm-hmm. They're going to Spock make up him to do Romulans. Right. So let's make him look more tan when he's human in this episode. Oh, maybe. So that you can see, so that you can tell on your black and white TV. <laughs> His shade of gray has changed. That we didn't just do eyebrows and ears on this boy. Right. Um, Spock, who is in on the plan, gives one of those TNG mutiny looks. The instant Kirk says to change course and head for the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Now, they do not do a mutiny, but Spock definitely gives a Riker look. Like, oh, we're going to have to meet in my quarters later. I'm going to have to set out sandwich. Oh, no, sorry. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's regards the... Um, the Prime Directive what, meeting. That's what do we do about uh, pen pals. His Prime Directive meeting has sandwiches and Jordy dives in. That episode is fucking Jordy goes, wild. Jordy goes, and, Jordy goes and grabs a sandwich and the meeting's over 40 <laughs> seconds later. Oh, uh, uh, can I take this with me? I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's eating. <sighs> Why'd you even lay them out then? We weren't supposed to I eat them. I wanted to be the first one because I don't like eggs. Half of these are egg salad. And I don't like egg salad. <laughs> Fuck. I'm the only... TNG mm. is so wild sometimes. Um, How come nobody is like, hey, why are we going into the neutral zone, though? Like, everyone goes, the neutral zone. And then they privately say to each other... What's going on? But no one just goes. Supposed to be here. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? That's because he's been yelling at people all day. Uh, then I said, "Ah, this is some kind of dang old secret Tom Paris plan to get into this Romulan shit. He's acting all nutso and taking the ship into the neutral zone, like when TP pretended." Well, at least to be they a only do guy. it for one episode this time. Yeah. Uh, again, Riker wishes he could have this lady's lounging chair. Um. Dead Kirk, Death Grip Kirk, was making a crazy face. They made him keep doing it. Yeah, they, uh, I don't know. Do you think Kirk is, like, real method? Do you think he shit his pants <laughs> Probably. to sell the Death Grip? To tell them that He told them that's what happens to corpses. Yeah. Uh, Sub-Commander Tall seems like an asshole. I must know the source! 
No shit, bro. Uh, like, this guy does his job. He was just telling you there was a communication. Yeah, we don't learn anything about Tall or, like, what the stakes are for him in this thing. But he, it does seem like he is. He's on. There's a reason he made the first contact, and I... Like, this may not be the first time she's had an adventure go astray. It's not the first time he's gone to recorders and she's in her gown, her nightgown or whatever. Because he did not mention it at all. He wants to speak to her first officer to first officer like... um, Kazago. Kazago! (laughs) Well, the only reason I remember is because of that that dope Magic Cloak song. Talks about Kazago. (laughs) Kazago and the Magic Cloak (laughs) song? I have to listen to that again. Um... (laughs) Man, that Romulan pistol is made of some cheap plastic. He dropped that on the ground and it just kind of weakly bounced with a tiny little noise. <laughs> it was pretty sad. Um, well, again, big budget cuts in season three. It was not clear what Kirk's plan was. He kept telling Scotty that he had 15 minutes to put that in. But I'm not sure why. Yeah, like he knew how how long it would be before they detected that he had stolen it and taken it off the ship. <laughs> Did he know that Spock was like, okay, if I get captured and they're going to execute me, the Romulans have this right of statement that I'm going to invoke and I'm going to filibuster. Like, it's bad enough when they have a ticking clock in these shows, but it's really bad when they're constantly reminding you to the minute how much time they have left. Yep. Uh, that's all I had. Uh, the original show doesn't get any credit for it. That's why it's down here in Quick Hitters. But the remastered version replaced one of the D7s with the Bird of Prey that they did. Yeah. And uh, I think that was a nice touch. I really liked the mixed element of the three ships. I think it made more sense. You never see it in Star Trek, though. Like, I, I, I guess you see it in... What's the one... What's the name of the episode, Matthew, where Picard has to judge the succession of the Klingon High Council? Um... Why? That's a really good question. The one with Campok. Um, yeah, Campok too, because K- he's in Kalar. K- oh, uh, oh, the one where Kalar dies. That's um, I wanted to say Legacy, but I don't know if that's right. Anyway, whatever it is, where they introduce the Vorcha no, model, the one with the Char-A-Yar. Yeah, and you see the you see that, and then you see the two Bird of Praise. Right. Like you, ne- other than that. You at best you get what uh, what we might get in this episode where you see two big Romulan warbirds. You never see a formation of different kinds of ships in this show. Yeah, it usually doesn't happen. It's true. I mean, until so th- I like until shit that. goes buck wild in the big space war. Yeah, and you'll get yeah, a lot yeah, of that yeah, good yeah. stuff. Um, Kirk is going to beam board as one of maybe what like a dozen Centurions on the whole ship and just bluff it out. Like, he, they probably know all of the, like, the random crew members probably know. Hey, wait a minute. That's not one of our six Centurions. <laughs> yeah, how many people are on board that some random Centurions walking around and you're like, I don't know this guy. That seems like, cool. definitely would have been better for him to slap a helmet on and be in there as a peon. Yeah, be, be a helmet guy's fucking buddy. Be Birdman. Uh, ju- judo chops. I liked the touch that Kirk didn't know what the cloaking device looked like until he mentioned it and the guard looked over at it. I liked that too. He's like, they're here to steal Um, the cloaking device or whatever. The guy looks right at it. But then immediately after that, he knows which pieces are important to take back and which aren't. Like he just pulls it out of the thing and takes it away. Like it's alien tech. 
it could be the equivalent of like you get back to have from having stolen it and you realize you just stole the monitor and left the whole computer behind. I was going to say, what if you, you know just I mean? stole the fucking control of like the UI and the actual device right, is exactly. just hanging like, out? Ah, the thing I stole does not actually do the cloak. <laughs> right. I mean, I took it. It's important. They can't cloak, uh, but this is nothing. I turned it on and it says cloak not found. Is that? Yeah. Did we not do it right? Or like the cloaking device could have been behind that thing or whatever. Right. But anyway. It's still a nice touch how he mentions the cloaking device and the guard looks over and it's very clear that that's when Kirk knows what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, of course, Scotty can integrate it into the ship and of course it takes two tries. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I give best actor this week to Spock or maybe Tall. Okay. And worst actor to any of the Romulan extras. They're all bad. Yeah, they weren't great. That's true. T.O., all Star Trek is bad with their extras. It's the same pool of extras that work for like six years or seven years on TNG. God, that's true. And they're not good actors. But T.O.S. is the worst. Yeah, T.O.S., uh, even the main actors aren't good actors, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the name of that episode, by the way, was Reunion. Reunion is the, Reunion. Is the one. There it is. Yeah. Uh, you already do yours? Yeah, I did mine. All right, we're done. We're done with TOS. We're getting there. Second, my voice is starting to go. I noticed, but at uh, least I'll be reading the descriptions. That's right. Second place last week was TNG. This week we watched The Defector. Woo! It's finally here, everybody. Was it everything that you could have hoped? Picard is... I mean, I really liked watching it. Picard is... Is that anything? I liked it, too. Picard is watching Data do Shakespeare in the holodeck. When they decide to call it a day, uh, I guess they detect some dang old shooting going on in the wrong... No, 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 no. Really? What's the problem? You're not going to mention the other Picard? Oh, what is, not for the episode description. That's not really important. There's two Picards. It's not really well, important I, that one of the listen, extras... Listen, I wrote, for some reason, Picard is doing Shakespeare with Data, <laughs> but also he's watching and coaching him? Like, there's two Picards and they just never... By the way, it. I've been calling that one Trash Picard. Trash Picard? He's yeah, a, that character has a name, but it's like Michael Williams or something. It's a very boring name in that He's play. like a gr- He's like a grubby old foot soldier, and he sounds like he's... And he's and he's very from the yeah. north. He's very... <laughs> he's, he's really from Yorkshire. This guy, he's mumbling out some crazy words, so that's Trash Picard. But anyway, not for the episode description. We will get into that. Uh, anyway, some uh, stuff's detected in the neutral zone. They're getting a distress signal from a ship there. Credits. <clears throat> They find a Romulan scout ship fleeing from a big old Romulan warbird. The scout ship asks uh, Enterprise for assistance and is shot to hell by the warbird. The Enterprise moves in to protect it, and the Romulan warbird turns and leaves without even protesting. Uh, they bring a supposed military clerk on board, and he says uh, that medical attention will have to wait. He has urgent information for the captain. They uh, go to the conference room. And Setal is his name. He tells Picard that a secret cloaked Romulan base is being constructed on Nelvana 3 in the neutral zone. From there, the Romulans will launch an invasion of the Federation once it becomes operational. Picard acts like it's no big deal and sends the guy off to be cleaned up by Dr. Crusher. And as he's handing out instructions to the team, they see the scout ship explode outside. In sickbay, 
Seatoll admits he set the ship to self-destruct before he left so it wouldn't fall into Starfleet hands. He's a traitor, but not like a traitor traitor. He is a very, he's like trying to play a very fine line. He uh, trades some insults with Worf and Riker, and then the scene shifts to Data and Picard just looking at like an average drawing of Nelvana 3. And Picard going, <laughs> so this drawing obviously wouldn't tell us if there's a base there or like cloaked ships. Maybe we should get real sensors instead of this art program you keep pushing on us. But Data bought the Corel Draw license, <laughs> and he wants to fucking use it. I was just looking at it like, that's the worst animated planet I've ever seen. No shit, you can't tell what's on it. Uh, Picard gets a time-delayed message from Starfleet Command, just two hours delayed this time. The Romulan Empire... Yeah, the radio's... Uh, well, it's also not from Earth. I don't know that it's clear that they said it was from Earth before, but this time Starfleet Command is definitely on some planet. The Romulan Empire has officially protested... Starfleet uh, stepping into its shit and um, taking its military clerk. Uh, and if it really is all a devious Romulan plan, they're making it look good diplomatically. Enterprise is ordered into position on the Federation side of the neutral zone proximate to Novana 3. Picard asks Worf to come see him. Meanwhile, Geordi finds some evidence that the Warbird could have caught up to the scout ship and destroyed it, but did not. Hmm. Right. Picard gets second second piece of evidence that things are not what they seem. Picard gets another time delayed message saying two starships are on their way to assist, uh, but they won't get there for a little while, and all starships have been placed on yellow alert. Picard calls in Data to uh, order a probe launch to study Nelvana three better, so they're not just looking at that drawing anymore. He asks him to stay and uh, further asks him if he'll be like a walking, talking diary during these events in case Picard makes a whoopsie and starts a war. Like, people will know what's up. Uh-huh. They talk some Shakespeare, too. Um, yeah, the... the yeah, it's fucking fine. We'll talk about it. It's time to Jack Bauer this motherfucker. Troy and Riker take turns yelling at Seatoll, who insists he's no spy. They want all that good Romulan military info, but he won't give it up. And because it's Gene's Starfleet, they don't go beyond being a bit shouty with him. And when he shouts back at them, they kind of look like, ah, oh, what do we do now? I mean, he's in that interrogation room. Yeah. What goes on in there? We haven't seen that room <laughs> very much, have we? The, I, this might be the first time we've seen this room. We will see it at least one more time. Um, Is that where they hold the trial in the drumhead? I do believe so. I think so, so too. It lo- that's how it looks familiar to me. It's got the same weird walls. Yes. Uh, they get a message from the Klingon cruiser Bortos, which Worf goes off to handle quietly. Then Data launches that probe they were talking about earlier. Cuts to Geordi and Data talking about uh, instinct and intuition down in engineering. A real Star Trek conversation about the nature of instinct versus fact and what makes you hume. Oh my god, it's so cliché. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, The probe picks up some low-level subspace radio emissions and some ionization disturbances, all indicating but not proving a Romulan presence there. No base is detected. Meaning, they gotta fly their asses in there and take a closer look. Data is staring a hole in Seatall at 10 forward, and the dude is like, take a picture and whack to it later, bro. He he asks why he must invade his privacy. He's he's definitely invading his privacy. If anybody was sitting at one table over staring at me like that, I would be like, I'm seriously, I'm going to fucking smash your skull. <laughs> like, <laughs> stop looking at me. Yeah, but you have emotional problems. Sure. 
well, this guy, um, he's better than I am because he, he says he's heard of this Starfleet android and they make a good joke about how lame it would be if the Romulans got a hold of him. Yeah, it would suck for real. They chat about the uh, awesome beauty of Romulus and Data is like, I remember where Wesley took his date that one time and they go to the holodeck where weirdly, despite not knowing anything about Romulus, he has perfectly recreated the Valley of Chula. Yeah. Which looks... I mean, it's pretty cool. It, is, it looks like it's nighttime there, but maybe it always looks like that. Uh, dude gets mad misty about it and then says now he lives in the yellow grid version of the holodeck. That he claims it for himself and he lives there now. <laughs> and then he asks to see Picard again. Well, and that Luckily, Data took him to one of the little holodecks. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if he lives there forever, it won't be too bad. It's not holodeck one. And he says he needs to see Picard because, big reveal, Admiral Jerok wishes to see him. They mentioned him earlier. That's who they, he was saying he worked for. Yeah. Um, Admiral Time Delay is back, and he confirms that, yes, it is Admiral Jerok, obviously, and we totally knew that all along. You said he was a clerk, so we went with it. But nah, he's Jerok. Like I said, we knew that the whole time. By the way, the character move there is seeing that thing has made him realize that he has given everything up and he can't keep pussyfooting around he needs picard to believe him yep. so that's why he reveals who he is uh anyway admiral time delay says don't treat him as a reliable source because <clears throat> of his oh yeah he's a he's the butcher of the, the fucking Norcan colonies or whatever massacre or whatever picard sits down with jerrock and spars with him about being a liar which by the way is that where scotty's going on retirement <laughs> the Norcan colonies i hope not maybe no one told him Let's check in on that in hey, 18 years when we get to relics. Everyone's too polite to say to him, but he doesn't fucking know. Oh, Norkin colonies? Oh, buddy. He was, he was in the fucking transporter buffer. He doesn't know what happened. Oh, they got worked. <laughs> it's not very pretty there. Um, Picard sits down with Jerrock and they spar about him being a liar to this point. Uh, Picard tells him that without his help and military intelligence and tactics and all that, they will not lift a finger to stop the supposed base from coming online. Jerrock says he doesn't wish to destroy his empire, but to save it. He tried to convince them once to change their policies, that another war would ruin the empire, but they just exiled him to a distant sector to, I guess, shut up by himself. Yeah, just go there and shut up. In the briefing room, Picard reveals that Jerrock has given in and revealed his understanding of the disposition of the Romulan fleet, and that he will provide technical details as well so they can defeat the Romulans. On the bridge, they get to Nirvana 3 without so much as a peep out of the Romulans, and they talk about it being too easy, so, you know. Uh, they call Jerrock up to the bridge to explain what they are seeing, which is nothing. They determine he was lied to and that this was all a test of his loyalty. They decide to get the fuck out of there when... Is that Tomalock's music? Oh, it is. Dude is back from a few episodes ago, and this time he brought two Warbirds. And is he very smug? Oh, he's so smug. They immediately attack... Oh, he's incredibly smug. They immediately attack Enterprise and land several blows, but the Enterprise is mostly undamaged. Picard does his patented don't-fire-back Mr. Worf routine. <laughs> and Tomalock <laughs> hails them and starts the premature celebration. He really does. He says that what they detected was his cloaked satellite, which is for scientific research. Then he says he'll capture Enterprise and mine it for information, display its broken hull in the Romulan capital as a symbol for traders to come, uh, for generations to come. Jerrock takes his cue and chats it up with Tomalock, but my dude is busy because he came here to fight. Yeah. Picard makes an inspiring speech, and then he reveals he thought ahead and three Klingon warships uncloak at his command. At least three. Yes, we see three in the picture. He is not... 
We, they don't say how you many. see three, but we can't see the whole scene. We only this uh, this shot is composed in a very interesting way. Now it's a stalemate of sorts. Tomalak says that Picard won't survive his assault, and Picard agrees that Tomalak won't survive his either. So, um, uh, Tomalak bows out, and his ship's cloak and disappear, leaving Jerox sitting there whining about how it was all for nothing. In the next scene, they go to his quarters where Dr. Crusher declares that he killed himself. Uh, he left a letter for his family that they obviously can't deliver, but perhaps someday if others have the courage of Admiral Jarrock, blah, 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 you get it. Yeah. What was this wonderful episode about that I actually, I'm not being sarcastic, enjoyed so much? Um, so I have a couple of takes. I, I, they're both roughly the same. So first I'll just say it's five points. Okay. Uh... There's two things happening in this episode. N- number one, uh, the virtuous man will sacrifice everything if the cause is just. This runs from the Shakespeare play down to Picard's final speech to Tom Locke. Right. Number two, neither pure logic nor pure intuition are enough when you're faced with a big decision. So... In the end, Picard needs both a believable motivation from Jarok mm-hmm. and he needs the military secrets, the full cooperation. That's the hard evidence, right? Right, because he's not getting anything to, out of these dang probes. To cross the border. And also, the thing I said about the, the cause being just is what ultimately makes Jarok's story credible. So I, I, it's really not that I couldn't pick. I think there's two things happening in this episode. Yeah. They're, neither of them is a big sci-fi story. But both of them are pretty Star Trek, so this is the down the middle five for me. Yeah, what I found when I was watching this and trying to come up with the the crystallized take was there were like five or six different solid themes in this episode. This is an episode of themes rather than a statement. Yeah, and I couldn't come up with a real good, like, this is what they are saying. It was like their themes of uh, heavy as the head that wears the crown there are themes of what does it mean to be a traitor like or what does it mean to be loyal and there's a theme of uh the king walking among the common people picard being out of touch with how the crew feels jerrock pretending uh, to be pretending to exactly right and that of course is is also from the the shakespeare bookend on this one yeah ultimately what i came up with was the desire to protect one's colleagues, subordinates, families can lead directly to their destruction. Picard wants to protect his crew in the Federation and spends the episode gravely quoting Shakespeare as he tries to navigate a way out of an increasingly likely war. Uh, Jarok betrays his people and his own principles completely in the end in order to avert a Romulan war of aggression. Still, if not for like a crafty Klingon-aided plan, the actions taken in this episode would have led directly to the big bad space war that they were hoping to avoid. I wonder. You don't think so? You don't think if the Enterprise gets blowed up on Nelvana 3, there's a giant space war? I don't know. I don't know if the Federation backs down. Like, the Admiral put all the ships on yellow alert, right? If the Klingons aren't there. Like, if the Klingons are there, there's definitely a war. Right. But if the Klingons aren't there, I don't know. Yeah, I think... Maybe the Federation backs down. Yeah, I ask this later on. Where where did I have this? Um, When I talk about what Tomalok's plan was. Um... See, at that point, this, by the way, at that point, we've got a Pueblo incident. Picard crossed the border. Yes. On a spy mission. That's going to be the Romulan story. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But 
but Starfleet knows that that's not... So Starfleet doesn't have anything to worry about in terms of what their motivation was. Well, Starfleet doesn't have plausible deniability this time, for sure. Well, what Starfleet has is there was definitely lots of information saying that there was something going on out there. They don't even have to hide it. They weren't doing like, right. a spy mission as much as they were investigating what they thought was a spy mission. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I ask later on, there's no way Starfleet just goes out like that, losing the flagship and shit and then the Romulan defenses they went into the neutral zone to look at the military tech we had already placed there and also we were there cloaked and waiting yeah that's true like that's the Romulan defense is particularly weak but the Federation probably doesn't want a war oh sure so it's probably fairly easy for the Romulans to get out of one that's all um anyway I just thought both of them were trying everything they could to get out of it and also sort of steering them toward a conflict um, the stated stakes in the episode are definitely this space war. Yes, what can I do? What can I do? Uh, I guess I question what the writers wanted. Like, uh, like TOS, is this was this something to give cover to generals and presidents out there ordering wars in foreign lands under the guise of keeping America safe? That, like, they really want peace, and sometimes that means shooting a bunch of Romulans or whatever the real-life version of that is. Or yeah, was this just a morality is... play with lots of different themes? This is post-Berlin Wall, pre gulf war so it's hard to this was the first episode that aired in the 90s oh okay well, that's a good start yeah i mean if you're watching this in 1990 you're like star trek's gonna be good this decade star trek is coming the on the 90s huh? is definitely the time for star trek uh and did we talk about what ben had uh no sorry what did you score oh, mine oh sorry i may not have told you uh mine was also a five okay uh ben is an eight holy shit he says that this is about the really big calls are rarely clear and they ultimately come down to one person who must make the decision with too little data and a gut feeling. that. T- so the, he is take one of my two takes. Right. If that's the one I said first, I don't remember. Yeah, and he ends it with heavy as the head, which was one of the themes I mentioned. It's like That is certainly a theme. Uh, this is about Picard having to make this. So this, like... Where Enterprise Incident picks up with Kirk ordering people across the border, this is an episode about Picard, often publicly in conference rooms, arriving at the decision to violate the neutral zone. Yeah, uh, yeah he is an eight, and um, uh, let's just swing right into execution. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Ben's a 10. Boom. Uh, He says, the writers did a good job creating big stakes without having to blow the budget. Yep, this is not a spendy episode. Uh, The scout ship is a modification of Galornan Core. Right. The Dederdix is there. We've seen it. It's actually a new model, but that's fine. Um. They, they're they going to get use out of it. Oh, uh, is it a GOM2 one? Uh, yeah, this is the... And it's a new Enterprise model, too, oh, by the way. Nice. New four-foot Enterprise, new to Derrick's model. They deserve it. Uh, that's why that scene, when they're at the neutral zone and they're hanging nose-to-nose, even though it's way too close to make sense... <laughs> yes. Uh, ...for being on two sides of the neutral zone border, uh, that's why it's such a beautiful sh- shot, I think. Mm. Uh, as usual, Starfleet is no help at all and leaves it on Picard's shoulders. Good rollout of facts. The Romulan Selak actor is, is quite good. He says Selak. That's not his name. Seatall. It's not either of his <laughs> yeah. names. It's Seatall and then Jerok. Uh, Whatever. Selak is good. <clears throat> uh, yeah, 
uh, I knew his name for a minute, but I did not write it down as James. He's Jatrell. Uh, you may know him He'll as He'll forever be Jatrell. Odo's shitty dad. Yeah. Um, yep. Later, we'll see him in a different role here in TNG. But he, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, James Sloyen is his oh, name. Yeah. Uh, he's quite good showing that he's not adept at being a turncoat, having a hard time relaying it, but not too much. Uh, the reveal is a big twist. Uh, I think it's actually a very well set up yeah. reveal. This guy does not act like a sub-lieutenant no, at or all. Or fucking smells he's... him out the instant he comes on the ship. Yeah. Um, but it also, it also demonstrates that he's not a spy, which is the thing that they actually suspect him of being for most of the episode. Yes. Uh, the interview with uh, Jarek and Picard about the Romulan's daughter is gripping. Romulan trickery is a great look on these guys. Klingon, he liked the Klingon showing that is up. A good, that's and, a good scene, too, because they really do not. They try everything they can to like lay a couple of seeds and not their whole hand on Worf. Oh, they are, yes. They are walk, the tightrope that uh, Jarek as Setal is trying to walk. Yeah with revealing giving away information is the exact the writers are trying to do it in a way that is fair and unfair at the same time they send Worf away to take the message from the Bortus Picard calls Worf into his briefing room immediately after he learns that there aren't going to be any starships that can help him but we we don't don't see see it it immediately cuts away but not in a way that is like oh what happened in there because you're just on to the next thing it's just yeah, it's just on to the next shit. So uh, it is actually it, both both of the things that that Ben mentions, both of the turns that Ben mentions in here, I think are actually very well played. Yeah. And then uh, even Jarek taking his life ties into the Shakespeare, and um, so he's a ten. Yeah. Uh, where are you on execution? I was not quite there. I'm at an eight. I'll just I got a lot to say. Um, but number one, the soundtrack is on point. It, they're uh, using that soundtrack that says something's off this week. Listen, there is a moment. This ain't Haven. Uh, that's what they're saying. <clears throat> yeah, no, <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. Uh, you're and you're super right about the soundtrack. Um, for once, we see the clues of a Romulan ruse, and so do the main characters. Hence, yep. Picard's Klingon strategy and all the stuff that Riker and Worf say the entire time. As soon as that Warbird pieces out in that early scene without any protest, their minds are racing with, is this shit a trap? And yeah. it plays uh, against right. Jarok. Have, have we got a trap? Exactly. It sets Jarok up as a spy. Um, and in fact, that's why TNG works a lot of the times, because the characters aren't stone-cold dummies all the time. Yep. I mean, sometimes Riker's kind of a beef wit, but... Um, <laughs> the great reveal that this dude is Admiral Jarok after Data makes him sad about Romulus. That's such yep. a moment. Um... The whole conversation in the ready room between Jarok and Picard from uh, peace in our time. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like, from that part to uh, uh, you've made your choices, sir. And all the good stuff in that scene. Um, the Tomalock uh, appearance and the Mexican standoff after the Klingons get there. Mm-hmm. There are definitely nits to pick. This Romulan plan is stupid as hell and they don't sell it very well. Like, this guy gives Starfleet yeah. all kinds of info, theoretically, about their deployments. Okay, those are obsolete. Presumably that's not and, done. Those are, they definitely changed all the passwords as soon as Jarok made his run, right? Like, military technology, we're led to believe. Yep, but he's an admiral. What does he really know yep. about the Romulan cloaking But that's devices? the risk they're running, and the Romulans... It is, the, it is a big risk. The Romulans get what? 
confirmation that he's a traitor? Bro, if you suspect he's a traitor, just arrest him. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, I think that there's uh, one more angle that the Romulans are, p- are playing, maybe, Just here, to get the Enterprise? Which is, how, how eager is the Federation to jump in? Because the Romulans don't do a good job of selling his story. Yeah. They don't pursue him as hard as they could. They turn away at the neutral zone, as you've said, right? right? Like, there's every indication that Jarek is a spy. And Picard still comes running. So they know so is that a, they can play these games with the Federation. I was going to say, now. is that a test of how smart the Federation is or just of their willingness to go to war? I think it's both. I think it works on two levels. Uh, I don't think that it's 100% clear that the writers intended that, though. That's uh, not that's not in my execution. That's in my quick hitters. Yeah, and I was going to say the Romulans must be real confident about their ability to win this war because, like, they're risking a lot to do yeah. this. Um, and that's where I had the stuff about how Starfleet probably wouldn't go out like that. Uh, I found um, the earnestness of the final scene charming, though I would understand if people now watching it found it a bit much. Not only that, but the um the shakespeare stuff is so on the nose yeah where he's like uh, why would data on the way to the bridge data asks him why would a king want to walk among the common <laughs> yeah. people and then you're like oh here comes sub lieutenant what's his name yeah um, they are straight like they are playing this in the most basic data exploring humanity way possible right and i cannot explain why they get away with it yeah that's the thing that worries me the most about it is because I'm not, I don't quite understand why it works in this episode, even though on paper it seems hack. Yeah. And also Tomalak is sort of a Bond villain. Oh I yeah. Mean, he, not only is he super smug and satisfied with himself, but. Well, let's be clear. He offers Picard a deal. Picard says, you don't <laughs> expect me to accept no. those terms. And he says, no, I don't. Now he does not then say, I expect you Nobody to Nobody says, I expect but, you won't. No. I expect you won't. It's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So these are the reasons I couldn't give it a 10. But I, but I like, actually like... If you the... cast two different Romulans, yeah. two different people, like if Ta, if a Katsulis wasn't available and you've got someone else in and it's not Tomalak and you just got uh, Carolyn Seymour or whatever right. to play the Romulan commander and, and also any other actor in the whole goddamn world is playing Jerok, it doesn't yeah. work. And and again, I still defend the earnestness of that final scene where they say they can't return that letter. I think it works, though I would understand if people didn't. So anyway, right. it was as much as an eight for me. Not perfect. It's not the perfect sci-fi episode that Measure of a Man is, but no. it is. It was very well executed. Uh, no, I agree. So uh, I'm at an eight. Um, this episode, by the way, is fucking packed full of nice to, little nice touches. Oh hell yeah. Uh, the 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 Klingons stuff getting laid in. Yeah, like you can see it if you know it's there. But I think most people found it genuinely surprised. I know I did. Now I was fourteen or whatever sure. the first time I saw this episode. But still, no, uh, no, I saw this one in real time, so I was probably eleven. You were on the train already. No shit, I would have been ten. God damn. <laughs> um, as before the Klingons appear, right. As soon as Tomalak says he expected better from Picard than idle threats, the Klingon theme starts playing under the dialogue. I know. 
before the Klingon ships show up, before Picard turns to Worf and says to prepare their surprise or whatever, the first hint is the music. I know I said, is that Tomalox music? I guess I should have said, is that Klingon music? (laughs) (laughs) Underneath, because that's supposed to be the giveaway if you're paying that much attention. Right. Uh, Okay, they bring up, Glornan Kor comes up. Beverly gives Worf a look. I have that too. That says... She remembers what he did. Mm-hmm. And he looks away. Seatall uh, never stops talking during that. It's not, they don't draw a lot of attention to it. It's not said. It's not called attention to. She says she has experience treating Romulans. She looks at Worf. Mm-hmm. Worf looks away. And then it just goes on. Yeah, it's a... And it's like, that's the entire nod to that, like, Something is still going on. Like, Worf is still the guy who let a guy die for a dumb reason. On TNG, where continuity is not often a thing that happens, that's big. And also, just in Star Trek in general, subtlety is not a thing that happens. Exactly. Uh, Basically, every scene with Jarok is fire. He belongs in that conference room. He sits down in that conference room when he says, so it is war that we're, so we agree it is war that we're talking about. Oh, and he cannot understand why Picard doesn't want to keep talking. It bugs the shit out of him that Picard's like, "Uh uh-huh, cool, thanks, I get it. (laughs) The entire time he is Setal, he is acting like an admiral, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't realize it. Like, he is very used, when he... When he runs his mouth about the Federation being exploitative mm-hmm. in sickbay, he is used to being listened to. Yeah, and not only that, he has more to worry about than his cover. Like, I, his main goal here is to stop that fucking base. And yep. that is what he is thinking of at, like, all times out there instead of, like, am I keeping a good cover? Right. Uh, so, I mean, uh, he, he fucking runs all over this episode. Mm-hmm. A uh, couple of reasons this is an 8 and not a 10. As- aside from the fact that it's not sci-fi, that would have gone into my premise more than my execution. Right. Um, Picard asking Data about the crew morale is dumb. <laughs> the, the last person you would it's, ask. Yeah, like, he's asking him this because they talked about it on the way to the bridge earlier. Yeah. But, like, Picard would turn to someone else. Troy, who's not in this episode. I mean, she's in it. She has she's one line. She's in the interrogation room. But she can't be in it. Because this is an episode where they need to know whether they can trust him yeah, or not. And, she would... and that's why Troy has to disappear. And that's a problem with the writing. That is a problem. Um, because we've seen many times the best Troy can do is he's not being 100% truthful. Yeah. And they, do you know what and I mean? they can't even write in, by the way, that she can't read Romulans because she's been reading them all season or whatever. Uh, exactly. The first, like, she, she reads Romulans like crazy. Um the idea that data should be recording things for history is a, is a silly dead end. Like it doesn't need to be in this episode at all. Uh, it just data gives one log entry after that. That's the entire thing. And like, you don't need it. The plot is advancing on its own. If the enterprise gets blowed up, data get blowed up, you know? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of (laughs) sense. What are they going to do? They're not going to jettison the fucking buoy as soon as they go. Go to yellow alert, jettison data. (laughs) Hey, I mean, red alert. Sorry. I'm sorry. Red alert. Um, this is not a, so, so it's not a perfect episode. Yeah. It is, however, basically exactly what I want from Star Trek. It's very good. Uh, it is n- noteworthy that all of the things that work about this episode are not science fiction. Yeah. Like, 
this episode works as a piece of TV and you could you could put it in on Earth and nothing oh, else yeah, would have to change. It could be the West Wing or whatever. Like it's exactly. it is what, yeah, it's anything. So I'm an 8. Okay. Swinging over to world building. Yeah, it looks like... Uh, let's just drop in here and say Ben's a 7. Yeah, the Federation credo exploitation. Always interesting to see how the enemy views you. And we've been getting a lot of that in TNG lately where other people talk about what they think of the Federation. And uh, also very effectively in Deep Space Nine, mostly coming from Quark. Yeah, that's right. He's the voice of uh, people judging the Federation there. Right. Um, Riker knows Romulan curses too and calls the dude a Varul. He says temperature is an Onkians for Romulans. I had that as Kevorkians. I didn't know what it was. Um, he did say Onkians. Uh, addressing time delay for transmissions from the neutral zone. USS Hood, USS Monitor. Uh, the time delay. Let's talk about what the time delay is for in this episode. Okay. So in in the Enterprise incident, the time delay is so Kirk can't call for help. Right. In this episode, the time delay is so that they can get facts from Starfleet. They're communicating with Starfleet the whole time. But the time delay means that Picard is ultimately going to have to make the decision on his own. Yeah, because it'll come down to a he, moment or something. That's right. There will be a moment where he has to make the decision. The The Admiral is in contact with him four or five times, but it's, it's not interactive at all. Yeah. The Admiral delivers a message and he's gone. And so the, the burden always stays on Picard. Not only that, the dude keeps his orders clipped in short, probably so that to give Starfleet cover, probably. <laughs> he gives yeah, him some you know, very exactly. quick, vague it's, orders. It's very clear that there's political work happening behind the scenes. Like the first thing he tells him is the Romulans have lodged an official protest. Mm -hmm. He tells him they're convening an emergency meeting of the Federation Council. He tells him it's probably going to come down to to your it's gonna be on your shoulders it's gonna ultimately be your decision right so yeah and you're right but that means that the communications are very clipped so. uh and he has valley of chula b-type warbirds cloaking shields treaty of algeron etc yep so he's a seven yeah. i'm not a seven um but i am a five okay. um because i think this is too limited to actually expose that much about the world i agree uh, B-type warbirds, also known as warbird-class starships. <laughs> That's right. The Philodocene ship. Uh-huh. Uh, she says something different, but the everywhere I've seen it written, it's written Philodocene, so I think the fact that she says, like, Philodistan or something is just a... She, she just, doesn't uh, know. Yeah, it. I saw... I was listening to an old brother date, and in one of the episodes, she says mutated, so... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, Romulan politics hasn't really come up but the reason this is coming to a head is because there's been a change of leadership in the romulan empire and there's a new faction that are warmongers yeah though so he is railing against a new group of people <clears throat> that actively want war with the federation yeah he was previously a great hero there but now has fallen out of favor because of this new right. regime and also i'm slipping him a point here for continuity because TNG doesn't do continuity, and not only is Tomalock back in this one, but this episode, Tomalock's entire motivation and like the, all of the explanations for his behavior are the way Picard big dogged him at Galorn and Picard Court. really, I mean, it, Picard pulls it out again, but there was a moment there where he might have regretted it. <laughs> this is his mess because if he'd played things differently at Galorn and Court, yeah. uh, Tomalock didn't have to be his enemy. Tomalock does exactly what Picard would have done in his spot in Galorn and Core. Oh, yeah. 
he's trying to get his men back and not sort of not give away any information he doesn't have to. And that's it. That's all he's doing. Yep. And Picard shouts him fucking down over and over again and reminds him, maybe I need to remind you again, Romulan warbirds do not enter the fucking neutral zone or whatever. Do not enter Federation space right. or whatever it is. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a five. Um, Let's see what I got here. What's the in-universe explanation for Picard being in that hollow program? <laughs> you know, exactly, I right? Mean, <laughs> that was so obviously him, I, it's crazy. Here is what I think. So they've got him all made yeah. up. He's got a big he's trash nose Picard. on, and he's doing a different accent. Mm-hmm. I think that Patrick Stewart wanted to do it, oh, and sure. they literally assumed that most people wouldn't notice. Well, sorry. I think they did not give us credit for that. Because, by the way, it's not like, hey, I'm watching this in yeah, HD no, no, no. for the first time on my computer and I'm really paying attention to take these notes. That's fucking Patrick yeah. Stewart. No, no, no. When we were kids, I was like, why is Picard? Why is Picard? <laughs> What's up with Trash Picard? Picard? And, are Picard and Data doing? Wait, no, Picard's watching it. What's going on? <laughs> Trash Picard is just out there being Patrick Stewart. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, also, this is one of those programs that can see and maybe maybe they assume that most people hadn't seen him as Elias Sejanus in Fall of Eagles or whatever. They hadn't seen, but they like, hadn't seen him in um, fucking Excalibur. <laughs> right. Exactly. But but we had PBS. So uh... Uh, also, this is one of those hollow programs that can see and understand dudes in Starfleet uniforms do not belong in their setting. Yeah, that was the worst part, was when Picard starts talking to Data and the dudes are like, let's fight him. And I'm like, what, if you fight him, is it still Shakespeare? Yeah, what's happening? Like, you guys are saying all the Shakespeare, Shakespeare lines. But what happens as soon as you fight this guy? Are, then Do you kill him and then you just go back and do the next line from the Shakespeare? Yeah, this Shakespeare got ruined. It's gone off on a totally different fucking mission now to find the spaceman. Yeah, that part didn't make sense. And it's always weird when the holodeck guys are like, what are you wearing? And you're like, well, okay, the- shouldn't. Shouldn't you be programmed to not care? These settings, the the options that you can have under the settings menu in the holodeck, I would like to explore. I'd like to... to you know, you, you fucking set up a whole program and you go in there and you're like, ah, f- I forgot to turn on invert Y. That's right. I gotta start and over. It's like, Jesus Blew Christ. that whole mission. Um, Riker knows where Federation space begins by the coordinates. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, extending... Especially since they only gave two coordinates. <laughs> yep. He's like... Federation mm. space. Um, extending shields is a thing again. Uh, Nelvana 3 within striking distance of 15 Federation sectors. I don't know what striking distance is in this case. Or what a sector is. Sure. If there are 15 Federation sectors in striking distance, there should be a ship somewhere <laughs> nearby. But not the hood or the... What was the other one in this? Uh, monitor. Town? Monitor. Okay. Um, those Klingon and Romulan curses. I said that Romulan temperature unit is the Kevorkian. Uh, <laughs> then I have the monitor in the hood. Uh, data states that the Rom... Why doesn't the universal translator help him order cold water? Seriously. <laughs> I guess the computer doesn't know what the fucking Ankian is, so it's like, I don't know how much that is. Yeah, then he has to just order it on the cold side. Um... Data states that the Romulans may have the same ability to direct their weapons as Starfleet does, making them capable of pretending to shoot up another vessel. I don't know what he bases that on. Um, it just seems like a guess, but you know. They do it. I mean, that's what they did. Um, Data claims they just don't know how to make Romulan ale, but like, they've apparently had access to it since the old Kirk days, so like... No one fucking scanned it in because it's contraband. Yeah, I was gonna say, someone knows somewhere. 
It's just not in the system. Uh, my uh, closed captions spell Golgothong as G-A-T-H apostrophe T-H-O-N-G. Gothothong. Nah, I don't think that can that be That cannot be right. I just had it written G-A-T-H-O-N-G. Uh, the Valley of Chula. How did Data make that happen right after he told the guy they couldn't do anything Romulan? They didn't know anything about Romulus. Yeah. He, could he have programmed up the Apnex C also? What's that? That was the third. That was the third space. Oh, okay. Um, the, the Firefalls of Galgathong, the Apnex C, and the Valley of Chula. Uh, Move along. The, the, that's right. The Norcon Massacre or the Norcon Campaigns. An entire legion has been assigned to that Nelvana 3 sector. Uh, Tomalock continuity, B-type Romulan warbirds. Romulans cannot detect cloaked Klingon vessels, apparently. Um, yeah, I guess it's a five. That feels five-ish. And uh, characterization? This is another seven for Ben. Ben really liked this episode. Ben gave this episode 32 he points. He particularly likes Tomalock, which is no surprise. Tomalock's cool. Katsulas. Um, I have it as an eight. So, Data kind of sucks at acting, and that's comforting. Why would a robot be good at that? Yeah. Uh, in this talk with Jordy, Data is once again incapable of using his th- thesaurus. Yeah. Maybe it's stress-related. Maybe his systems run slow when he's really stressed out. <laughs> oh, you're proposing the in-universe explanation in Future Imperfect? <laughs> yes. Exactly right. But you're proposing it's real, and Riker seized on it, but he shouldn't have? <laughs> he should not have. His experience with Data led him to believe. Ah, oh, yeah. fuck, it's another Varul situation? Yeah, we are right back in Theory Corner. His experience with Data helped him in that that whole thing. <laughs> um, Picard is happy to tell Data his acting isn't there yet. This will be repaid to him countless times as Data tears apart his various art projects in the future. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um... Picard is so good at keeping his whatever interest or suspicion or desperation he has in that first staff meeting with Seatall, he keeps that all under wraps. He's like, uh-huh. Thank you. Like, enjoy your stay. Please go to the sick bay. We're good. Thanks. And the guy's like, surely he'll want to interrogate me further. And he's like, yeah, no doubt. I got it. Um, Which I thought was a good small touch. He's not giving shit away to this dude. Um, Though maybe his reaction to the exploding vessel was a bit muted. <laughs> when uh, the yeah. scout ship blows up and he kind of barely turns his head a little bit <laughs> like yeah. i'm afraid to look did it blow up again um that's another good scene because a worse version of this show would have had it happen as soon as picard said taken away team over to the scout mm-hmm. ship but they have like six or seven more lines he barks out some orders blows up in the middle of one yeah, yeah. uh again i really liked yes 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 yes, yes. peace in our galaxy Just thought that was really so mean the way it was delivered. He like spit the words out. Like he was saying, fuck you to death. Um, And when Jarok asks if Picard has children, I definitely got the impression Picard thought that was a low blow. Yeah, it it catches Picard for like, like Jarok gets one more sentence before Picard recovers from that. Uh, he knows he pulled a fucking fast one with those Klingon ships, and he enjoys Tomalock prematurely celebrating. Uh-huh. Have you seen? He is he is very upbeat during that whole scene. Have, have you uh, have you seen Tomalock celebrating on that Reddit, on that subreddit for premature celebrations? 
Uh, no, I have not yet, but uh, that would be a good one to post. A real geek have test. Have you seen any of the yeah. Bond movie ones? Have they been on there? Because these guys, some of these no, villains there love are many. their premature celebration. No, it's mostly it's mostly runners. It's mostly runners and cyclists. Uh, Riker nailed the Romulan plan like for the entire episode, except he thinks that Seatall's a part of it the whole time. That's right. Um, Riker... But that's what the evidence suggests. Sure. But it is suspicious Riker from the start, and that's the best Riker. Definitely. If, if, if he is suspicious Riker, you know you're going to be in for a ride. Unfortunately, that's all he does in this episode. Well, he, he can't even interrogate. He, he does it on the bridge for a second. He does it in sickbay for a second. The interrogation scene is nothing. Yep. And then Riker disappears because it becomes the uh, Jarok and Picard show. Hey, fuck, it's the Jarok it's the Jarok show in that fucking interrogation scene for sure. Isn't that where the he find we hear about the Credo, the Federation Credo exploitation? Nah, that's in Sick Bay. Oh. You couldn't wait to get on board that ship oh, and start tearing what it. What secrets might it reveal? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he did, he says something good in the in the this interrogation. This guy is so fucking arch. Um, anyway, uh, Riker pretends he knows who Custer is. That's a good bluff. So what he's what he's doing in the uh, the interrogation scene, he's doing the version of asking Worf where he got his scar in Future Imperfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's just trying to get information, and that's why that's where you first hear the name Admiral Jarok. That's what that entire scene does: is it introduces this character that he'll will turn out to be him in a minute. Right. Uh, anyway, I don't know if you heard me. Riker pretends he knows who Custer is, which is a good bluff. That is true. It was a very He's good like, bluff. Yeah, yeah, General Custer. I know that one. I know that one for sure. <laughs> yep. May we have better luck. <laughs> um, when they get to Novana Three, he insists, as he has from the beginning, that this shit was too easy. Suspicious Riker is the only useful Riker. Um, Worf ain't dumb either. He sees this dude showing off his admiral's knowledge out there. Mm-hmm. And when Riker... You know a lot for a logistics clerk. <laughs> You're... And when Riker swears at the guy, Worf gives a look like, the best human alive just smoked you. Yes. This is my boy Riker's world, and you're just a turd in one of its billions of toilets. It's a good scene, and then he leaves, and then... Seatall immediately gets the scene back yeah. by delivering, again, uh, some very corny lines that somehow work. Yeah, but I, he's just he's the like, type. I, I like him. A warrior. I understand him. He's a warrior. He's exactly the type that will get us all killed. <laughs> and you're like, that line on paper, that's a stinker. Yeah, but that guy did it. But somehow Sloyan pulls it off. Um, Let's see. Jordy is good at his shit, too. He's all over this warbird pretending to destroy the scout ship. Uh the stuff with data and engineering i'd rather forget yeah there's a big sense on uh on the enterprise that people go back and dot the i's and cross the t's on the enterprise d that they're like uh this thing just happened jordy's looking at the law oh yeah he wants to see every part of that shit yeah um troy is all in on this interrogation just shouting at the dude next to her boy bill Seems out of character, so she must be really worried about this damn space war. Yeah. That's not what she signed up for. Uh, I see Crusher looking at Worf in that scene with Jarok and Sickbay, like, remember when you killed that other Romulan? Uh, I remember. Um, so for me, this was pretty good. Like I said, it's an eight. Now I'm a five. Oh, whoa! Uh, I mean, five's not that bad. Not for Star Trek. There's a couple of things here. 
uh, Data's advanced studies of humanity. Yeah. Now he's doing Shakespeare to learn about it. Picard's real into that. But somehow it's turned him into season one Data again, where he doesn't understand the concept of intuition. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, obviously, he doesn't know what catching with their pants down means, et cetera, right? But he knows how to sound confused and a little afraid that he should ask what catch him with their pants down means. Oh, yeah. Data's a mess in this episode. Yeah. Oh, he's he's always very good at showing the right kinds of emotions. I wonder why. And then Riker disappears for the second half of the episode and they have to bury Troy, right? Yeah, so for plot reasons. That, that's the weakness, and I penalized them here more than in continuity for okay. it. Or more than in execution for it. Uh, obviously though Picard cleans up the guest is hot fire if I felt like I could give Jerok points oh, yeah. this would be worth a lot more uh, Tomalok uh, does count and he drips pure smugness in the second appearance yeah, but He's, he was better in the other episode because they gave, they this gave is him an a episode where role. everybody is so arch yeah Tomalok is extremely arch uh, Jerok is as arch as you can get yeah. uh, Picard uh, Picard's going full force most of this episode too, um, but it all works. But yeah, I'm a Data really bummed me out when I he watched. He's usually one. the problem. If there's like, it's always like, man, if only Data weren't in this, the points would be so much higher. Like occasionally, Data works. Data doesn't drag down Measure of a Man. Oh God, thank God too. Do you that know would what be I mean? A real problem. Like, you understand why he doesn't want to submit himself to this guy. You understand why he's going to resign from Starfleet. And weirdly, for the first time, he's not over-emotional. Right, exactly. But this is not good from him. So, you know, five's not that bad. This episode pulled in a lot of points. If Ben's points counted, it would have scored so many. But yeah, uh, it pulled in a lot of points from both of us. So, Well, what did you have for uh, quick ones? I definitely want to see Kalmark Shakespeare. Yeah, what interpretation is that? Like Olivier, Branna, etc. I want to see Kalmark. Oh, can you tell? Can you remind me what kind of alien was Kirk pointed out uh, playing? He's an Aldebar. Oh, what shit. was it? I can't remember. I'll have to load my fucking notes. First, I have to look up. Uh, first, I have to remember what the name of oh, that episode yeah, that was. Is, uh, it's got a, it's got a it's, dumbass name. It's um Conscience of the King. There you go. Conscious of the King, week 13. Week 13 is in my Google Drive. <laughs> Sorry, this might take a while. I just... That's the, that was the first when one. When I heard about Colnark, I was like, oh yeah, remember that other guy that blew everyone's uh, mind? No, it's exact. It's extremely extremely similar to that. Blew uh, everyone's mind for reasons that were not explained. Let's see. Oh, like, boy. is it good? Is it come bad? On, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, what kind is he? What kind? I didn't write it. No! Boo! I feel very bad. I don't keep my notes, so that's on you. I'm like, I'm Admiral Time Delay and you're Picard. This is on you. All right, well, that's not the end of the world. No, it's not. Um, The Jadarius looks so good in that nose-to-nose shot. This guy belongs in that conference room. Beverly gives Worf that straight look. Guy's not believable for one second as a sub lieutenant. Nope. Uh, monitor in the hood can't reach Picard in time, so I guess they're all alone. Data really should have learned about. It. Boy, I've covered all yeah. of this. Uh, I imagine that Data started taking a lot of people to the see the Valley of Chula holodeck program because of the impact after this. <laughs> just trying to get the same react, just like not understanding why it was meaningful to just him. 
Correct. Everyone going, yeah, Data, this is this is pretty cool. Like this is the best interaction that Data's ever had with anyone. Where he when he convinces this guy to suddenly be like, "Oh, I gotta my shit's done. I'm just trying to tell him who I am. I can't keep playing this game this way." I mean, actually, you know, Picard's gonna turn it around too, but um. Yeah, but so uh, yeah, so I like to imagine that Data has taken a bunch of people to the Valley of Chula. Uh, not even one. So this is a big problem. Not even one Federation starship close enough to assist. But three birds of prey can make it in yeah. time. <laughs> what is the position of where they are? What is the Romulan Federation neutral yeah. zone? It encompasses all of Klingon territory. <laughs> like, oh, but the, they can get there. They got there easy, man. It's a quick one. Um, a couple more things. Uh, do you know why they're doing Shakespeare at the beginning of this? Um, no, but I have notes about the Shakespeare scene. What? It is because uh, the estate of Arthur Conan Doyle Uh-oh. threatened to sue them if they did any more Can Sherlock Holmes. Can you blame him? The, the... Nah. An Arcturian Macbeth. <laughs> From the transcript, the first line Kirk says is interesting and Arcturian. Why is it interesting, though? Why can't they tell us? Is it good? Is it bad? What does it mean? That's pure color, but we both remembered it, although we both half remembered it. No, we didn't remember it it quite enough. Yeah. um, Thank you for finding that. And then uh, was this whole thing a test to see how poor of a trick the Federation would fall for? Well... I gave Best Actor to Admiral Oladar fucking Jera. Crushed it. No, no chance of anyone else. And uh, for worst actor, I wrote only a Varul pronounces it that way. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see. I said, you know why this opening Shakespeare scene does work so well? Because they just give they just give us the Shakespeare. There's no captain's log. There's no cheer. There's oh, no yeah. soundtrack of any kind. Yeah, there's some data in it, and of course, we know immediately that Pat Stewart is there as that garbage <laughs> pale man. And Picard's watching, but it just like it sets a tone because you're they're not hammering you with a bunch of stuff. It's like boom, Shakespeare. We died in such a place <laughs> that we died in such a place. You're like, oh man, he's just spitting out those weird marbly words. Um, Jerak is so fascinating as a guest character. Like he wants to betray his people on a ter- on terms that are not possible. Yeah. He really is after something that is not a possible thing to do. Like, he accuses Starfleet of being naive and foolish, but, like, that is the most naive hope of all. The one that he Absolutely. comes in there with. And it's just so fucking good, and I wish I could count him for characterization. Like, uh, he is the defector who doesn't even turn over his MIG. Yeah, he blew it up! Like, it's just not, it's just not how it works. Yeah. But he believes he he first of all he's a whole fucking admiral That's right. and he's used to getting his way. He really thought it was possible. And the inciting incident is when they took away his toys and put him in a fucking backwater somewhere. Yeah. If they had just let him keep complaining, oh yeah, who knows? Yeah, if he if he let him show up to the fucking uh, conference call every week, just going, guys, I just think we really got to tone this down. I don't know, if, you know, if we're really taking a lot of risks here. And they went, uh huh, okay, well, great, we understand. Like every- he jumped, he jumped at this defection before he understood his own motivations. I think. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had. I didn't have most of my stuff was in the other sections. Yeah. 
it's a good goddamn episode. Uh, did Ben have any quick ones in there? Kenneth Branagh. Just a couple. Yeah, they, they, they named Kenneth Branagh as one of the Shakespeare greats. Uh, he said he knows I'm not a fan of uh, Shakespeare. And um, no, I don't know that it's that. I just think I've seen all the Shakespeare I need. Like, I, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just uh, I would just rather see a new play. I don't know. Yeah. Does that make like I go to play? No, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Also, I do shit on all of Shakespeare's comedies. Because the yeah. comedy was a thing that wasn't even meant to be good. They wouldn't even try. They're like, no, no it yeah. doesn't matter whether it's, it's good. If people want to sure. leave the theater yeah. feeling good, that's it. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, but he says it's nice to watch a guy who really knows how to do it upright. I assume... Pat, Pat Stewart? Referring to Patrick Stewart and not the other guy whose English accent seemed fake, <laughs> yeah, by the way. I, I, don't th- I don't think they found another Shakespearean actor. More than we know! Was... Um, like frankly, they should have just had Sloyan because he was a Shakespearean actor. They could just put and him in a garbage Tomalock, pail nose dude. and had him do it, and then exactly just get Katsuwas <laughs> yeah. in there. Jeez, like there were a bunch of them hanging around the set, and they had to watch that <laughs> guy. Right. But I, I love, I love everything Trash Pale Pat says. You know that fucker had to take hell it's more than we know. You know, Patrick Stewart probably directed that scene oh, for sure. He probably directed it in his Picard uniform. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a, we died in such a place. <laughs> anyway i guess we should move on even though that one i could talk about for 10 years yeah he gave actor by the way this is how much so ben gave it 32 points which is not the most he's ever because he did ironically give a tos <laughs> gave a, that's all he gave gonna tribbles say about or that. whatever a 40 uh but he uh was it tribbles it was Just tribbles or the nazi planet one or something yeah. right um, but he gave actors uh, best to everyone and worst to no <laughs> Oh, okay. I guess he had a good time. Like there was, there were no clunkers in this one, even though Data had, Data, there's a scene where Data asks Jordy what, what he means by his gut. <laughs> well, look, Ben gave it five thumbs up. He doesn't care if that's a good that number true. of thumbs. That's how many he gave. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. Mm with Past Tense Part 1, and here comes Past Tense Part 2. I'm not going to do a recap. Look, it left off with uh, Cisco as posing as Gabriel Bell, helping to take some hostages, because that's what yeah, history m- recorded. It's... Minute one of the Bell Riots is where we start here. Back in the hostage room, Kid Rock, that Kid Rock guy, he shouts at everybody in a totally San Francisco accent. Do you want me to drop his actual name here for once? Just oh, the once? character's name? It's fun. Oh, yeah, that's right. They mentioned it toward the end. What is it? Biddle Coleridge. Biddle Coleridge. Okay. The Kid Rock guy. Biddle. B-I-D-D-L-E. <laughs> yeah, but they make fun of him for it. Uh, anyway, he shouts at everyone in a totally San Francisco accent, and... um Cisco posing as Bell says that they can't shoot anybody because they need the hostages alive. That older security guard from last week comes in wielding a gun and he's captured too. Um, Bashir shows concern for Cisco because history records Bell died in the riots, which we knew last week, but he felt the need to remind us in the teaser this week. You know, what's weird is it seems like Cisco hadn't thought about it yet. <laughs> Because he, his answer is, I'm not Gabriel Bell. That's right. I think, they think he had thought and about it. Goes, and that's, uh, he sussed it out. You are now. He had that one totally surrounded. He's like, yeah, but I'm not him. What's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Credits. 
Um, the nice dad whose son they looked at last week comes in and Cisco pulls him aside and asks him to bring more of the gimmies in. Remember, the gimmies are like the the people who need a job, but generally their brain is working or whatever. Unlike the, um, what are the other guys called? The dims. Um, they can't just be a team of ghosts. That's the name of the crazy bad guys because they're rowdy trash boys and shit'll go south. To Jadzia, who says she needs to get into the Sanctuary District now. Damn it. Like, right now? Rich Fancy Boy objects, but uh, as I said last week, he wants to get in there, so I'm guessing he agrees to that request. I yeah. wanted to make sure you were still there. Um, I am still here. On Defiant, they are ready to start their quantum leaps to find Cisco and team. Uh, O'Brien says again that he has narrowed it down to ten possible places they could be in time. Kira shows up with a thing on her nose, a bandage or whatever, and O'Brien um, says to just let him do the talking when they get to Earth. <clears throat> uh, also, they've picked fun outfits for their travel into pasts unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went with what they considered uh, past neutral outfits. Um, attempt one sends them to, like, I don't know, the 40s or something. Uh it's the, it's the 30s. Okay. They detect... There's a there's a poster in the background that indicates that this is actually the exact same time that Kirk and Spock are on Earth in City at the Edge of Forever. Oh, they did a thing. Okay. They did a th- but they, they didn't talk about it. It's just in the background, so don't worry about uh, it. They detect nothing there, and the transporter takes like 30 seconds to re-engage and send them back automatically, which is enough time for Kira to make a fool of herself by uh, volunteering to the people looking at them that she broke her nose. Yep. Um, back in the sanctuary. Well, so this is this is exactly Data saying he's from South America. Right? That's right. He's from Brazil. I'm from Brazil. Back in the sanctuary district, Kid Rock says that the plan is to use the hostages to get money and a flight to Tasmania because that's where Errol Flynn was born or whatever. Um, Cisco says they'll demand the districts be closed down. These bad, bad sanctuary districts, and that the Jobs Act be reinstated. So he's got some of them lofty goals. Yep. Uh, they pick. He sort of remembers what happened after the riots, <laughs> and he's going to try to make it happen directly. Yeah, he's like, so what did, what did the history books say was a result of these bell riots? I'll just ask for that. Because that's how it th- usually works. Um, yep. They pick Nice Dad to deliver the message uh, out to the world, but their signal's cut off halfway through. And soon a detective calls to negotiate. Nice Dad wants to trade uh, a hostage for breakfast, but Cisco Bell says uh, again that the hostages won't be released until sweeping changes are made to the system. Close down the sanctuary districts, etc., etc. Definitely demands things that a SFPD detective has no power to bring about. Well, this SFP detective spends like the whole episode on the phone with the governor. Um, let's see. Bashir chats with the nice lady who couldn't help them get a job last week. Um who now talks about uh, how the crummy conditions are around here and all the poor people she can't help. Kid... I mean, to be fair, she's only had one day to try to find them a job. But basically, I think... Didn't you say to him last time, basically, like... (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. She said that if she knew they were gimmies, she would have helped them sooner. And, like, I don't know. There was... uh, Well, we knew she was nice, so she'd be in trouble. That's what matters. The whole point of this episode is that she has be like everyone she has become uh kind of dull to the problems around her acclimatized yeah, unsure to, what to do. Yeah, exactly yeah. um 
desensitize is probably the right word to use. Kid Rock wants to kill the old man security guard, but Cisco does some clock acting and Kid Rock backs down. Um, he's now definitively not the alpha here. Are you talking about when he says that he doesn't like his hat? Yep. <laughs> and I don't like your hat! Uh, Cisco yells at the old man guard, who shows no sympathy toward the poor suffering people he sees every day. Um, meanwhile, Smiley and Kira leap into the 60s for some hippie stuff that doesn't land. Nice Dad's no longer injured kid shows up at the Sanctuary District, some more chatter with the hostages, and then the detective says that the governor can't do anything and that they need to give up or else. Dax fucking crawls out of a manhole cover, like, cover inside the Sanctuary District. <laughs> and she immediately is followed by a Howard. Yeah, I mean... No joke. The main Howard that appears in Star <laughs> it's Trek. That, Star Trek it's Howard. It's that Howard that played Baylock. <laughs> uh, Jadzia gets taken to the hostage room by some of the, I don't know, ghosts or whatever they're called. And is finally reunited with her buddies. Oh, they take her there to rape her. Oh, for sure they're going to, yes. Um, until they discovered that she knows Cisco, and then they're real bummed out about it. Well, he's it. been clock acting that whole day, and they don't know what's going to happen next. Um, they wanted to do an R so much. Cisco sends Bashir out to help her get her comm badge back, and they talk about how obviously she's going to need to escape this whole situation because the doctors would figure out pretty quickly that she's not a human person. Uh, yeah, as soon as they saw that weird uh, kangaroo pouch she's got. Yeah. Uh, they get her badge back way easy because this Howard likes good aliens like her and just gives it back to her. <sighs> yeah, we'll talk about it. She fucks off back down the manhole and her whole mission was like, not for much. Except she goes right back to Fancy Man and says she needs to use his phone slash dentistry slash lottery terminal to hack yep. the internet <laughs> and do a website. <laughs> get a scratcher or two. <laughs> Uh, so they're going to get them back on the air so they can tell the world their story or whatever. Um, meanwhile, the detective's trying to talk the governor out of using force, but it doesn't go her way. It's breaking skulls time. Um, O'Brien says they got three more places to try, but only enough chroniton particles for one leap or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. So they pick one at random. What do you think happens? He literally closes his eyes and hits the button. Hey, he ends up right. Hey, they get hey, there. It's a, they did it. They picked the they right did, one. They did it, everyone. Uh, What's weird is that they beam into. Uh, this is fine. They beam into San Francisco, but not where Picard, uh, where uh, Cisco, and like they don't beam into that Bart station. They're just elsewhere. Yeah, I guess they could localize it. Not enough. Yeah. Um, Cisco talks baseball with these dudes, and then shit starts to go down. They move the hostages because they think they see guardsmen coming, and Kid Rock shows he's not such a bad guy because he gives his hat to that dumb kid. Uh, troops. And then he and the nice dad go down in a hill. <laughs> yeah, bullets. troops rush into the room, and a bunch of shooting ensues. Kid Rock and nice dad go down, and Bell throws himself in front of the old security guard and takes a hit. The Cisco Bell. Um,. The troops, for some reason, let the now-freed security guards watch Bell and Bashir and fuck off to shoot some other people. Nice Dad is dead. They all walk out into the carnage, and the old guard is like, How could we have let this happen? He says it with his mouth. <laughs> and the security guards let Cisco and Bashir go, and they put their IDs on some dead bodies so everyone thinks they died. Um, Somehow, though, the picture of Bell in the history books is still Cisco's picture. This is we'll weird because they find a dead body yep. with the ID card that has a picture on it of a different man. Yep. 
but it's still so and somehow the picture that ends up in the i guess because he was on the recording <laughs> yeah i guess because he went on the recording and said my name is definitely gabriel bell i'm for sure i'm gabriel bell don't look into um, it um Everybody goes back to Defiant, back to the present, and on board, Bashir visits Cisco in his quarters. They notice everything turned out as expected, except Cisco's dang old picture is in the history books. Then they moralize a bit, and the episode ends. Yep. What did you think these guys were trying to say this week? If you treat people like animals, they become animals. And conversely, if you show people you're not an animal, it makes it harder for them to treat you like Biddle one. said it. This is... This is obviously basically the same take as the last episode, but I don't have a problem with like this is part two of that episode. That's fine. Sure. It's kind of weird when the take is very different in part one and part two anyway. Uh yeah, that's usually like a menagerie situation where it's like part one was an episode and part two was a flashback. Right. Uh so it's an eight. It was an eight last week, it's an eight this week. It's the same idea in the you know, all the same things I said. Homelessness is a real problem and people really were uh, suggesting building ghettos in Los Angeles and so on, and the writers wrote this episode to address it. The take is not the problem with this episode. No, it's not. Um, yeah, you're right. The take hasn't really changed, so I guess it earns the nine it got from me last week. The only other thing I had was the question, how did we let things get so bad? Yeah, it's a it's a problem in execution that I'll talk yeah. about. But um, but questions uh, suck, so let's go with the the same take. Right, and um, like that again. It's it gets points this week for the same reason it got big points last week. It, they're doing a big Star Trek, yep. and this is a big and Star they can't Trek. stop talking about it. Um, when Voyager went back to the past, they were not doing a big Star Trek. God, no, they were not. It was a fucking uh, action thrill ride. It was a caper. Like, it wasn't about unchecked technology. Nope. At all. No, it was about the doctor mm. getting a mobile emitter. Anyway, uh, Ben has it as a four only. He says the actions of one person may seem insignificant, but it's what actually changes the future. I mean, I guess it's true that that's what Gabriel Bell that's does, a- but... Yeah, it happens in this episode. It was a problem with last episode that I noted is that the episode talks about big sociological forces, and but then it's very clear when Gabriel Bell dies. That's what and matters. Cisco's, and then at the end, Cisco's like, "I'm Gabriel Bell." That it's like, oh, okay, so it really is about the one person. Yeah. So not only do I agree that it's kind of a it's kind of a theme that undercuts this episode, but I also agree that uh, if that were the take, it's a four at best. Yeah, because it's anti Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, flipping it around, he had a two on execution. A few quick scenes throughout history. Cool for the costume designers, I guess. The future relies on Judzia being a convincing actress. Seems risky to me. Well, certainly if we know that in real life, Terry Farrell was not. Um, the ugly weirdo BC does a, a, f- a fake rack of his shotgun when he says his big brag line. The whole thing felt very much like a preachy 80s movie and it was very bad. Where are you? Um, so this was mostly, to me, an action and plot episode with the characters taking long breaks to chat with each other about the state of society and what pushes people to their breaking points and how to move forward and why nobody helps fix a problem everybody can plainly see. Like, they didn't find a good way to interweave that stuff. It was like... um. 
here's what's happening with the detective. And then here's everyone sitting around and saying, how do we let things get so bad? Anyway, yeah. uh, I actually think it's fine in a way because they were, like we said, they're definitely going for it. Um, but other than saying what Biddle said, that if you treat people like animals, they get like animals, which is explains the hostage situation. And asking the question, how did it get so bad? They didn't actually really go into enough depth on what the problem is and how to fix it. Um, just like last week, the Kira O'Brien plot is nothing. It's just they exist yep. to return the time travel people back to the regular time. But they don't do anything. Dax doesn't do much either. It's really all about Cisco and Bashir, and that part was mostly fine. For me, it was a five. You liked it one point better than the first part? Yes. Okay. Uh, I have it as a four. So, this episode has a ton of filler in it. Yes. Dax enters the compound, has two encounters with some kind of Howard, (laughs) just to get them back on the air. A problem that could be solved by removing the part where the police cut the air, right? So, like, it's not necessary. Oh, yeah. Kira and O'Brien coincidentally visit Earth at the same time Kirk and Spock are there. Then in the groovy 60s, so that all the baby boomers can be like, wasn't that cool? And then in the end, we don't actually see them have a conversation with any of the crew or beam them out. Nope. Yep, that's right. (laughs) They literally just... They talk to Dax on on the communicator. They don't even talk to her in person. They arrange a meetup, and then they disappear from the episode. And then everyone's back on Defiant. The redemption of Kid Rock is nothing. Yeah, seriously, who cares? And in the end, where Bashir asks Cisco how it could have ever gotten so bad, and he says, I don't have an answer for yeah. you, that's beyond hack. He had an answer last <laughs> week. Right. Last, like, last he week, was the he was like, they've just, they've just temporarily, for, they're just, they're burned out and they've forgotten, but they, it's, they will remember their mercy and their sympathy again. And then when he's achieved that, he's like, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> it's true he's not as good a historian this week it's not clear why anything that happened during that time would change his mind on that because it all goes real well they the the social worker is the easiest she comes around then there's a chaotic bc and he comes around and then there's that security guard who's the hardest and he comes around at the end i don't know why cisco would not feel better about his take that people have just temporarily forgotten their humanity also uh it goes so well from a time travel perspective in a way that only a sci-fi show could say it went where everything's exactly as it was everything it was a 100% perfect magic outside of that picture like aside from the fact that he's been shot and this week it takes a long time to heal a wound like that and he's still like wincing and he's got his arm in a sling you'd think he'd be feeling pretty rosy about the whole scenario yep hmm uh, ben is a one on world building. Says all the same stuff as last episode. Uh, but he missed some really important stuff, which is why I'm as much as a two. Okay, good. So Buck Bukai, the 2015 Kings were his rookie Buck, year. Yeah. So they have a discussion about whether the 99 Yankees or the 2015 Kings were the best team of all time. Or the best team that they saw. I think the old man right. specifically says best I ever saw. The 99 Yankees did win the World Not Series. Not only that, dude, they were 11-1 and one in the postseason. They crushed in the World yeah. Series. This episode was came out in 95. The, 
Yeah, the only thing is that uh, a lot of people think the 98 Yankees were better. They won more games overall. They had, like, a great regular yeah. season. But, like, hard to beat 11-1 and one in the postseason. The winner of the 2015 World Series, of course, there is no London Kings, but it was the Kansas City Royals. Uh, same colors, basically same idea. Uh, and then there's... It's just weird. 1995, and he says 99 Yankees, and 99 Yankees were fucking yeah. boss. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh... There's uh, just a, one or two hints that 2024 jail might be even worse than 2024 sanctuary. <laughs> okay. There are a lot of people who definitely don't want to go to jail. Yeah. And I, they don't come right out and say it, but jail must suck. Well, the sanctuaries are so bad. I guess it yeah. kind of follows. Maybe you have to go to special sanctuary jail. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I give it a two. It's, like Ben said, most of the world building was done last week. I agree. In fact, I also had a two. I uh, had, sorry, Kid Rock, unless they change the rules again in 2024, you can't run over the catcher anymore. That's right. Um, in this universe, you were still allowed to. Uh, hypoglycemia still exists in Bashir's time. He recognizes it on visual symptoms. Uh, a new way to time travel that they talked about last episode with chroniton particles and transporter leaps. I mean, hypoglycemia is a symptom and not a disease, uh, so it's not surprising that it still exists. A lot of different things can cause it. Again, how does this writer know about the 99 Yankees? Um, because that's like a plausible answer to the best ball club this schmuck has ever seen. Anyway. Yeah, it really, really kind of uh, is. And then 2015, Buck Buckeye's rookie year. So we had a lot of the same stuff. Um, characterization. I had it as a five. Cisco's pretty cavalier about changing the past or restoring the past or whatever he thinks he's doing. Uh, but he cannot stop until he shows up in those history books. Can't stop, yeah. won't stop. Kira is embarrassed about having to use the nose bandage. What is the alternative in her mind? That's a very good question. Bashir. Just explaining to people that she broke her nose, but like a lot. She broke it 50 times, it didn't heal right. It, it fucking accordion. It's weird. Actually, the first forty nine healed just fine, but something about all the all the breaks on the fiftieth accordion. The doctor said if it breaks one more time, I could die. <laughs> that would be a great thing to volunteer. <laughs> uh, Bashir has sort of a very basic sympathy for these people, and he walks around in the same wonderment he did last week, just like, what the fuck's going on here? But he is willing to stay to the end with Cisco too. Like, uh, I'll back you up, Captain Bell. Dax yep. is in it. <laughs> you know what? It's a four. It's a four. Yeah. Uh, I also, my initial score is a five. Uh, Cisco is uh, still fine this week, but this is his role to play. Yeah. Like, this is very Captain Cisco. Like, this is Benjamin Cisco would, would be doing this. Sure. So. I thought Bashir was a little better this week than normal, but I did wonder if he's suddenly too good with people. Yeah, what happened to the piece of shit we all know? Like, he's been getting a little better over time. <sighs> he, As far as we know, he didn't fuck Dax that time. She thought she was going to die, and she stayed in his bunk. Yeah, probably. But, um... But yeah, he has been... So he's been very slightly improving since that episode with all the ambassadors. However... Uh, no one else in this episode matters. So, like you, I had it at a five, but I think it's a four. Yeah. 
Um, Ben says it's a three. Cisco's very serious, and Bashir is quaking most of the time, so pretty normal. Uh, does he have any quick yeah, He says he's morally certain that Cisco was going to look directly into the camera when he says, Bashir, I wish I had an answer. <laughs> yeah, it was delivered as if he was looking, as if he was I thought the, the old man sure. was going to do it when he said, how can we let this happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was so... Not, the, not the kid who was just trying to get back to his family, but specifically the, the grizzled old mm-hmm. man. Um... What about you? I got some. I got a couple. Uh, Biddle seems like he could be played by Paul Shear. Just a one for one swap. <laughs> put him in the put, put him in a wig, please. Put him in that wig. Oh yeah. Well, he wears the hat almost all the episode. <laughs> I want him in the long hair and the hat. Uh, even Cisco can't possibly believe this police detective can reinstate the employment act. No, again, I think he's literally just quoting what he read in the history books. These are the things that happened. I should probably ask for them. O'Brien should be embarrassed because he realized way too late that there was a method to estimate what time period Cisco was in. Like if they just thought to do reverse chronological yeah. and check the newspapers instead of just, I don't know, fuck it, let's try the 30s. Yeah, that's true. He really should have thought about that. Uh, you didn't mention it because it is not important at all, like that whole plot. But he comes back from a very changed 2048 with the sudden realization that the, wherever they are it was before 2048 because that shit was wild. Yeah. Um... Cisco's pajamas at the end <laughs> yep. are the craziest of all time. <laughs> He's got like purple silk pajamas on under a very strangely cut red daishiki. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it could be. It's very odd. And then also, uh, I know, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to compare doctors, but Beverly Crusher would have had that bullet wound all healed up. Oh yeah, no one would be winced. She wouldn't have been making excuses about how the Defiance under-equipped or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she knows about roots. Bashir did a real half-ass job on that bullet. She knows wound. about some roots. She would have just gone down to Earth and got some roots. I gave best actor in this one to Detective Where's Her Boss. Okay. And worst actor to the Young Guard. That guy's not good. That leads directly into my quick hitters. This younger guard must have been hired for his ability to play injured hostage because he gets his shit done right in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> He's the guy <laughs> who gets cut on real good and loses an ear and shit. Oh. Um, man, they really dance around the saying... or They really dance around just saying he's an older white guy with a reasonable haircut, so let's put him on the, uh, on the fucking screen. Yeah, because we know that he he's like a normal guy who's there for some reason. They specifically do not say white, but they like they say he's he's like uh, he's like an everyman or something, right? And they can't use Kid Rock because like you know, um, <laughs> I thought maybe one of the hippies was Fred Armisen, but I don't think the time frame tracks. I don't think he could have been acting in uh, 19 But he certainly looked like a Fred Armisen character. He was a Fred Armisen character for sure. And then, man, this Howard playing a mentally unstable person was really painful to watch. The 90s, bro. It's so... This is such a dumb... It's just such a bad and dumb sequence of events. Like, you know... She pops up out of the fucking thing, so now they're all together... Clint Howard tracks her down, hands her over, so she gets taken right to them. Like, she wouldn't have gone right to them anyway. Yeah. And then she goes right back to him, gets 
back her communicator. Yep. That he took for no reason, yep. just so he gets one more scene. And then she goes off and, and basically walks out of the episode. There's one more scene with uh, what's his yeah. name. And then she's out of the episode. And like none of that needed to happen. Also, that role was supposed to be played by Iggy Pop. Oh, well, we know he made it in DS9 later. That's weird. Yeah. Hey, so um, it was the 90s. And that was obviously the comic relief. You know what they said in the room was, Oh, uh, we'll just guess uh, there'll be a scene with a retard. <laughs> yeah. And that'll be funny. Everyone will laugh. And he believes in aliens, and she is a, she's an alien. You get it? She will, He won't know that. I mean, he'll know because he believes in them, but he, they, she wouldn't have any reason to believe that. She, it's funny. Because he's, he's retarded. His brain don't work so very good. <laughs> I don't know why I gave this executive or this writer or whoever this accent, but it was worth it. Uh, he's from Queens. I don't know why. <laughs> you get it, though? His brain's broken, and then it's because he, he likes the aliens. Um, give your sister a kiss for me, huh? Hey, dude, you ever read the fucking Bible? <laughs> nice dad? Nah, this guy doesn't seem like he's into the fucking Bible. Relax, bro. Yeah, that's all I had. It's the it's the good book, you dumb dumb. Yeah, don't do that. Um. Hey, man, did we do it? Sc- scores are in, I huh? Think we did it. Last place this week, Voyager Blood Fever. That's not a surprise. They did manage to eke out 23 points, That though. is kind of surprising, given it was a Voyager sex episode. It's 10 more than Coda. I mean, Coda was very bad, though. Coda was trash. Was Coda bad. was straight trash. Uh, fourth place this week, uh, Enterprise Exile. Yeah, you actually had this one a little bit above average. Um yeah, I had it at a 16, and my average is 15.1. You had it down at a 12. So 28 overall. Eh, they got 29 with Impulse. 28, 29, That's about their it's kind of their zone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, their average is literally uh, only is 28.46. Right. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's where they live. Third place this week, DS9 past tense. Okay. Part two. Uh, we both had this one as a fall off from the week before. Well, no, I'm sorry. You scored it the same. I scored it three points lower, but the competition was better this week. Yeah, DS9 uh, has been on a really good run lately, and they've got 14 total wins, but this was not their week. No, this was not their week. Um, Second place, 42 points, the Enterprise incident. TOS just needs to do Romulan stuff, I guess. That's it it's weird because uh season three is universally considered star trek's worst season Mm. that hasn't kicked in i mean we had spock's brain which i rather enjoyed uh but like uh enterprise at 42 it's been a long time since uh since uh, tos had a 42 the second season was very bad so how bad must the third season be yeah God, I'm going back. Um, I saw the Omega Glory got eight points. <laughs> Holy shit, that's bad. <laughs> Wait, it was trash. Wow. So. Okay, I'm not even going to keep looking. Yikes. <laughs> well, so yes, the Omega Glory got eight points. What you didn't say is six of them were characterization <laughs> points. It really. It scored two points on the other three categories. It really didn't clean up. Uh, uh, the winner this week. 49 points a very a very good score yeah uh but not in the 50 club no just misses out 
I still say I enjoy it more than any Star Trek episode, but it did not score yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, T- TNG, The Defector. Yeah. That is their 20th win. First to 20. They're back up to three ahead of TOS. Uh, their average is now a full two and a half points above TOS. More than two and a half. You know what I think is interesting about this episode that we talked over and over again, how it was paired with the enemy? is that the enemy scored one point higher for you and one point higher for me than the defector did. Yeah. That's interesting. I never would have thought about that because the Glorned Core episode doesn't seem like much and the defector seems like the really good one. But actually, in terms of this project, it was the enemy. Yeah, in terms of points, it is uh, the enemy outscores it. But again, I think that's because uh, half of our categories are science fiction. Yeah. uh, Premise and world building, right? That's true. And uh, like I said, the defector shines in the other two. Sure. It's not bad in premise and world building particularly, but it shines in the, in the other two categories, which are not uh, science fiction categories. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So 20 wins ahead of 17 for TOS, 14 for Deep Space Nine, uh, Enterprise 4, Voyager 2. All righty. Next week, week 58. Oh, boy. We're watching The Paradise Syndrome. I don't remember that. I don't know. Yeah, the uh, thumbnail is uh, what looks like a white woman dressed as a Native American style <gasps> from an obelisk. Okay, I remember that. Fuck. Uh, TNG, The Hunted. Oh. Hey, we're this one's going to come with a tape. Oh, yeah. The Hunted has I a tape. I can feel the sure. points two weeks away. Yeah. Uh, DS9, Life Support. Mm, I think I know which one this is. Voyager, Unity, the first real Borg episode. Unity! <laughs> that also. Yeah. And Enterprise, The Shipment. Yeah, it's about a shipment, probably. <laughs> it's about a shipment. Uh, it's about the, some Zindis. They, they know where a Zindi planet is now. Yeah. So, uh, that arc continues. That's what you should watch if you're playing along. But next week will be a mailbag. So send us mail. That's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. You can send us your audio files to the um, to the email address, brothers at brotherdate.com. Um, and just go to the website. Check out Landrew. He grows every every two weeks. He only grows more powerful. He is extremely powerful and robust now. Um, we raised up a son that could eat up his weight in groceries, I would say, about Landrew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. It was fun. Peace out. Yeah. He's like, oh, the only person you ever liked was your grandpa. I'll be him. Oh, he d- yeah, he does. I'll be yeah, your it's grandpa. Weird. It's real weird. Call uh, me Pop Pop. Please <laughs> <laughs> subscribe.